Hi, I'm April. And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst, a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture, including film, TV and music, as well as dissecting some very special subjects of our choosing. You can find us online with Twitter at thethirstfacebook.com forward slash thethirstpod. We're also on Instagram, thethirstpod. We're on Podbean by searching for The Thirst. You can also get us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify, all by searching for The Thirst. You can email us if you want to, thethirstpod at gmail.com. Um, and we can also have a look on our blog where we share links to anything that we might have referenced in the episode the url for that is the thirstpod.wordpress.com and um, make sure you check out the show notes because there'll be some links in that as well um this is episode 55 number 55 i've got a couple of things sure they're not very interesting Fine. but the more the numbers go up it's just getting more it's difficult gonna get, yeah um we've got uh old 55 which is a song by tom waits we of course saw tom waits this week the, licorice pizza the gravel voiced king lovely lovely tom um 55 cadillac is an album by andrew wk surprisingly hot andrew he's WK. quite hot. who knew um and just this one i like 55 is the name of a song by kasabian and the only reason i have mentioned this is because whenever i see kasabian i remember that time that my mum told me she really liked that band kazabayan and every time that just makes me laugh. I was like, Kazabayan, is it? Uh, when I worked in HMV many moons ago, that's I used to have many people come in that would be like, have you like Kasabian record? Kasabian? Kasabian. Get it right or you Kasabian. can't have it. Sounds like AR, an exotic record. It does. I can't wait to go on holiday to Kasabian. Kasabian. Um, do you want some birthdays I as would well? love that. Uh, your favourite Adam Sandler is 55. <sighs> King. Janet Jackson's 55. Great. Great. Uh, Rick Astley. Lovely. Never gonna give you up. No, never gonna give you up. Rick Astley. <laughs> Sam Hayek. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Hot. Sure. Who else have we got? David Cameron. <laughs> Great. Pigs. Looks like a 55 year old potato. Uh, Paul Hollywood. Your mum's favourite. My mum does indeed love Paul Hollywood. Any more for any more. JJ Abrams. God, there's not many good 55 year olds. Mm, no. Sinead O'Connor. Great tattoos. Irish. Uh, Chris Evans, the Big Breakfast version. No thanks. Uh, Awkward and Ginger. That's all I've got, really. Oh. Everyone else isn't very interesting. Do you think that we're going to have to phase this out, or do we have to keep going until we get to like the 60, 70 sweet spot? Oh, we have to keep going until we at least reach Harrison Ford. How old is he now? 102. Great, well... David Attenborough is 95. We could keep going. That could be our <laughs> finishing point. We could get to a point where we talk about people who would have been that age if they weren't dead. Yeah, great, cool. People who died at 65. Let's do that. Maybe we should pivot. Yeah. Celebrity deaths. That's what we're going to do when we hit 70. For 2022. Um, we haven't recorded an episode in ages. Um, no, life got in the way. Life famously got in the way. Sorry. Hope you had a nice end of 2021. Didn't get COVID. Didn't get I COVID. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? That yeah, we're still it's a little in bit weird. Year two of COVID. Anyway. Uh, At least we podcast in person now. We do podcast in person. Lateral flowing. God, that's going to date Do a, a little lat flow LFT. <laughs> lat flow LFT. Latty. So, a little lat- latty flow. Latty, latty flow. Um, this is our uh, end of the year best ofs for 2021 episode. We are recording this at the start of January, but that's just the way it goes, isn't it? Look, it's just been hard, okay? It's been hard. Had to put the podcast stuff on hold because of life. But I don't we... know if anyone's missed us. So, Oh, you've definitely missed us. Someone tell us you've missed us. This is a nice opportunity for us to do a little retrospective of the last 12 calendar months and probably cover some things that we missed or didn't talk about. Um, and it's just nice to sort of share and remind ourselves of things that we did like in the year 2021, which feels like it was only... I don't know, it felt like it flew by. 
It Not, also felt like one of the longest years of my life. Yeah, somehow the longest year of our lives, but also went really quickly. Yes, I would fully agree. That's strange, isn't it? So we're going to cover uh, our favourite uh, films, TV, music, books, maybe some other stuff. Who knows? Until we run out of steam, basically. Until we run out of steam. So we will start with films. Yes. Let's go from that point onwards. How are we going to do this? I've done a 10. I've actually done a 10 this year. Not well like done. That's done. the only time you haven't cheated. I know. I was very, very measured this year in that I didn't take the piss and go like, Steph, we have to do 10 each. And then I like turn up and have written like 15 because I can't be able to whittle them down. Yeah. I famously hate ranking things. So um, yeah, I, I just, it, I always struggle to reach 10 just because I don't even want to think about it. I hate order of preference i hate it it's tough isn't it because i quite like ranking stuff but then also when i was doing this i got really irritated by the fact that actually a lot of these are on like a level with each other yes so i don't know i always find like nine and ten the hardest because i'm like what makes the cut and what doesn't because you're getting into like four out of five stars on letterboxd at that point so it's like there were many four stars this is the thing like letterboxd almost makes it easier because i can go back and go like oh okay i i considered that to be like four and a half stars but like the four star for me is like absolutely where i put loads of stuff that i really liked but wasn't like didn't blow me away but then when i go back and i order it and i go like okay cool what what, what?" um it's hard to get all of the four stars in oh yeah i can't i get like 24 stars and then like two anything like two four and a half stars and that's kind of it i definitely made a list and then decided to rearrange it at the last minute so uh rule there's loads of stuff i kicked out which probably should go in but yeah i will regret everything all of my decisions i will regret yeah always um so just some things i mean this might not be the case for you so this could be interesting some things that i did not include in mind because we did see them in 2021 i've done yes i think i've probably done the same so we will not be including well i won't be including anyway sound of metal no band land and another round because we those saw are the them. three i've put oh. down as 2020 yeah Nomadland, another round sound of metal yeah so we, we watched them the year before we did we? yeah and i think that we maybe put them in our top tens of last year we definitely did i checked yeah so if you're wondering why we haven't covered those ones that's why there are also a few things that i think we probably didn't see yes Um, i feel like for me personally there's a few that i didn't see this year there's a few 2021 things i didn't see that probably wouldn't have made it into my thing anyway um but then also like that doesn't really matter does it but if you're wondering why they're not in there it's probably i haven't seen everything haven't i just i haven't seen everything did manage to see an awful lot last year but did not see everything didn't have that much free time anyway um shall we start at 10 and then work our way down to one yes is that okay yes um so do you want to begin you do your 10 i'll then do my 10 and then it'll be like a okay interesting job i already regret 10 but i switched it a few times so um i've just gone on impulse go um so number 10 i put riders of justice oh interesting i I have not seen this tell me okay so i watched it a couple of weeks ago over the christmas period um directed by anna thomas jensen and it, of course, stars Mads Mikkelsen, which was my main draw for going well, to see it. of course. Of course. And um, so it's about a guy called Marcus who returns home to look after his daughter because his wife has died in a horrible accident um, uh, in a train. It's a big train crash. And a survivor of the wreck comes forward and says that, actually, I don't think this was an accident. I think your wife was murdered. And it sort of sets off a chain of events. And I expected it to be like an action-driven revenge film. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be very similar to Nobody with Bob Odenkirk, which is another film I saw and enjoyed this year. I thought, oh, I bet it's really similar to that. Like, maybe a bit funny, 
revenge comedy kind of thing. But it was actually quite a bit more than that. Like, it's very entertaining, really bizarrely funny. Like, Mm -hmm. Danish... I don't know if it's just Danish humour, but some of it I was, like, laughing, but also kind of, what the fuck? I can't believe they said that. It feels like a very Danish thing. Like, when I think about Thomas Vinterberg and, like, some of Lars von Trier, which is a bit like, I'm laughing, but this is actually killing me. There was some very... Mm odd humour which was funny but also I felt a bit guilty for laughing at it it was also quite dark and actually quite heartbreaking someone described it online as like oddly life affirming which I think is accurate but I just cannot believe that Mads Mikkelsen is as good as he is he's so good he's really fucking hard in this film like he is scary and he looks amazing with a shaved head like he looks absolutely gorgeous but he just has so much range I was thinking the other day I think because I'd unfortunately been reminded that he's in the Fantastic Beasts upcoming thing yes he is quite clearly never see no but it just made me think about like all of the range of films that he's been in that I've like really enjoyed and they're all over the place they're so all over the place he's just absolutely magnificent and he is extraordinarily hot in this I will admit but I really enjoyed it and it's probably quite fresh this is one of those like multitude of four four star films Mm -hmm. but I watched this one fairly recently and I kind of looked at the ones that could have gone in 10 and, and went out of that list which would I quite like to watch again right now Mm -hmm. and I opted for this so that was basically how I decided on this good film worth watching it's interesting isn't it like that recency bias thing I struggled with that a lot actually when I was making my list last January it's like like 12 years ago it's it's almost a full year isn't it now we're recording in January it's very strange to think about that yeah there's Uh, always a you're right there's always a bit of time bias there my number 10 is The Power of the Dog Lovely. Uh, directed by Jane Campion. Uh, yes. Stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Cody Smith McPhee. It's an adaptation of Thomas Savage's book about a domineering rancher who responds with mocking cruelty when his brother brings home a new wife and her son. And he sort of just continues to be awful until something unexpected happens. Um, I watched this before Christmas. Yeah, so did I. I'd been really looking forward to it. I think that I'd been intrigued by some of the critical responses to it, which had been like, either like this is the best thing in the entire world amazing oscar nominations across the board blah 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 or Or completely overblown or just completely overblown like didn't get it um i really enjoyed it i was actually quite surprised i really liked jane campion's work anyway and i'm a big fan of kirsten dunst and jesse plemons i was really surprised by benedict cumberbatch so good all of the performances were brilliant in this isn't it I mean, I'm not saying Benedict Cumberbatch is a bad actor, no. but I'm just plainly not fussed I'm by not him. Fussed either. But I thought he was brilliant. He in was this. brilliant in this, and dare I say it, very hot. Absolutely livid that I he was, was attractive. So irritated by the fact that I had to spend two hours just being like, oh, I'm actually finding him very attractive. And also unsettling. Like I don't think I ever so thought disturbing. that he'd be able to pull off really unsettling. No, not in at the all. way that like really like really intimidating. I didn't expect that either. But and the whole film you're just waiting it's just got that horrible tense feeling. Well, you know like something's you're on bubbling. The edge of your seat. Yeah, completely. And I, I don't know. It's re- I, I'd never really given much time to thinking about like westerns or things mm-hmm. set in this particular period in American history, where like you know on the plains and trailblazers, etc., yeah. etc. But actually, in the last few years, I've watched a few things that are. There's kind been of, quite a lot in the past. Yeah, few years and actually, well, it's just made it? me realise that it's like a very interesting period in American history, and also when they are done well. Mm-hmm that the execution of them just can be like really engaging and I completely understood like a lot of the motivations for the characters like how isolating it can be to just mm-hmm. live in these remote areas where there's just 
land and land and land. Like this was filmed in New Zealand, but it's set in Montana. Yeah. So you've got these like, vast plains and you know mountain ranges and stuff and i just i i really liked it i had a really really great time with it um, i thought it was brilliant i was kind of like glued to yeah, the yeah. screen the entire time and was waiting for something deeply distressing to happen and also loved seeing kirsten dunst and jesse plemons oh my god i together. just they what are a complete joy they are a delightful couple anyway i'm a big kirsten dunst fan i haven't seen her in something since the beguiled, the beguiled. Maybe? Yeah, I was trying to think what I'd. I've watched a few, like rewatched a few things with her in, I suppose, but I haven't watched anything recent with her in. I don't think. Mm. I don't know what she's been doing. I think she did a lot of TV actually, didn't she? She did Fargo and she did that. Yes. Thing that was set in Florida, but them as a couple, it was just really interesting seeing them because I'd not watched the Fargo that they're both in. Yeah. So it was very interesting watching their dynamic, and I really hope that she does get some Oscar buzz for it because it's long overdue. She's just an actress that obviously has been working for such a long time. And she's just, I don't know, just seems to go from strength to strength. So this is on Netflix. So if you do get the opportunity to see it, I would definitely seek it out. Um, what is your number nine? My number nine is The Velvet Underground, directed by Todd Haynes. Oh, interesting. So this we, is one of my notables. But yeah, we watched this on Christmas Day. I saved it for Christmas Day. I thought it might make... A great choice. I just steadfastly refused because of circumstances to watch anything that's actually Christmas themed or Christmassy. Uh, on Christmas Day, so we watch this instead. And yeah, directed by Todd Haynes, features in-depth interviews with a lot of the key players of the time. It's got never-before-seen performances, lots of recordings, Warhol films, um, experimental pieces, and tells the story of the Velvet Underground. There's like a you can tell there's a very strong Warhol influence mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing. It does look amazing. It's got like quite an experimental feel to it, doesn't what it? What did you think of that? Because I remember saying I think I said either to you or mentioned it to Wes when I'd watched it, knowing that you probably watched it. I just really liked the construction of it. The yeah, way the that... split screen aspect was so great, clever. wasn't it? It's really clever. Um, and the way that they introduced yeah each of the key players mm-hmm. as sort of the history of the band developed. I really liked that. I thought it was really immersive. A really great reminder of why the Velvet Underground remains such an important band. Made me want to just listen to them exclusively for the week afterwards. It's absolutely um, what I did after I watched it. As is often yeah. the case. Um, also just, I don't think I'd... Obviously Lou Reed is Lou Reed, but I hadn't spent as much time thinking about John Cale Oh personally. my God, John Cale. What a revelation. Amazing. Um, super gorgeous, obviously. So as clever. They all are. Yeah, I loved listening to him talk, actually, and his insight and his relationship with Lou Reed mm-hmm. in particular. Lou Reed, obviously, like many, I don't know, icons, notoriously quite difficult mm-hmm. um, to work with. Very, um, quite a tragic figure, quite complex. Mm-hmm. A complex figure. Um, so I always find those relationships, you always get one central yeah, relationship yeah, that's really interesting, don't you? So I really liked listening to him and was and I were then listening to like some of his solo stuff afterwards. I guess there wasn't anything like it, it's not something that there wasn't very anything like hugely revelatory no. about the documentary, but it was just really lovely if you enjoy their music and their style and that period of time in New York. It's just like an amazing piece of history to tap into. So it was just like an absolute joy to watch for two hours. The thing that I really enjoyed about the John Cale side of things actually was that I didn't know a huge amount about like his backstory. No. Or, like um just Welsh like but his musical prowess, mm. like the way that he ended up in New York. Like, 
that entire scenario like I had no awareness of so that was just really interesting and it just it felt to me like that it's construction felt very much like an intentionally so like an art piece like the type of thing that yeah. you would see in a gallery and then you would end up just sitting for two hours yeah. watching the whole thing and being like oh, I'd cool, show I'd that just... in the factory wouldn't they yeah like... absolutely it was just nice to spend time with like I had such yeah. a it was just a nice immersive experience and often it is you know it's Lou Reed Nico's often a focus as well yes um, yeah so to bring actually for me personally unfortunately I hadn't quite realized how integral like John Cale no, was I as a didn't either at for all. me um so actually hearing a lot and he- hearing his influence mm. and just yeah how important he was to shaping that band and their early material just thought it was brilliant really enjoyed it didn't watch many documentaries this year actually so I just love the style of that one thought it was great very very good and um, my number nine is pig oink oink um directed by michael sarnowski it stars nicholas cage alex wolf is a story of a reclusive truffle forager in the wilds of oregon who embarks upon a grief-laden quest to find his foraging pig who is cruelly stolen from him we watched this together oh my god it was just i just cannot believe how much i loved the pig film it's mad isn't it i didn't expect to love the pig film really as much knocked as me for six had this like perspective that it was going to be like essentially pig john wick yes like this revenge like <laughs> yes it is it is set up as pig john wick isn't it but actually you stole my pig actually in parts it was extremely tender like Nicolas cage was a revelation i mean i loved mandy mandy was probably the last film he did yes, that i really same. loved but it has been a while i think since Nicolas Cage has not that he needs to prove anything but proven that he is an incredible actor mm-hmm. with like real depth and range and nuance yes you know he is kind of known as the the over you know well, he's chaos isn't he? he's the chaotic one and he is in a lot of extremely fun chaotic films yeah. and there is a certain kick to get out of seeing him go like 110 yeah. percent and just go batshit but actually I don't remember the last time I saw him doing something this like sensitively and it was probably one of the most emotional films I watched this year. It really easily. got me. It really, really got me. It just like really lingered with me. There's so much in this about like, because he's a he's a former chef as well. And yes. it's just the role that food and grief, like the intersection of those two things. And like That's how... really compelling and interesting it as is, well, isn't, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It really, really is. And this idea of actually how like one of the most intimate things that you can do for another person is to like make, make them a food. meal from scratch. Yes. And I just, I don't know, it just really knocked me for six in a way that I completely didn't anticipate when we went into it. Yeah. Um, and that critique of high-end yes. like, restaurant culture, yep. what goes on behind the scenes, like it's quite disturbing and uncomfortable watching to see that actually the way people are exploited yeah. behind the scenes so you can eat like a fucking truffle on a plate. Like, yeah, it's mad, isn't awful. it? But I just could not deal, I can't deal with people losing their pets and I couldn't deal no. with the pet. I just couldn't deal with the pe- pig thing. Um, it will surprise you to learn that it just made me want to get a pig. Imagine if we. I discovered. Well, I've told you this before, but I actually discovered someone on the street nearby, and I live in a small terrace house. Someone around here owns a pet pig, indoor domestic pig. Anyway, would love one. Food for thought, Um, literally. Literally food for thought. Just yes, this film was quiet and well, it was quiet and meditative and quite grief stricken. Mm -hmm. But there's actually also quite a lot that happens. Yes. (laughs) So it's kind of it balances that aspect with a bit of action, and I just couldn't believe that I actually really. It was a real surprise, wasn't it? A real, real surprise. Nicholas Cage, former chef, and his truffle pig. <laughs> oink, oink. Uh, my number eight is um, something that I watched this morning because I couldn't sleep and had to get up at six to watch a film. So this is The Lost Daughter, which is directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, it arrived on Netflix a few days ago. 
and uh, I know you haven't had a chance to I watch not, it yet. No. I guarantee you will love it. I think you will. I'm sure I, I will. I, it's a, I feel like it's a given that you will mm-hmm. love it. So it's about a college professor who goes on holiday and while she's on holiday in Italy, she sees this woman played by Dakota Johnson. The, obviously the, the lead woman is Olivia Coleman, and she sees Dakota Johnson with her young daughter. They're on vacation with family and she becomes kind of obsessed with them and their relationship. And it prompts lots of memories of her early motherhood and her role as a mother to two young daughters and her relationship with those daughters. So it's kind of a back and forth. You get these flashbacks while she's on holiday. This is obviously Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut and it's based on a novel as well. So it's an adaptation of uh, a book by Elena Ferrante. We've got Olivia Coleman, Dakota Johnson, Jesse Buckley, who's always brilliant. Love her. Paul Meskell. Amazing. Great. Oliver Jackson Cohen, who I have only seen um, in uh, Mike Flanagan properties, so that was quite interesting. Is he in This Is England? I actually don't know. Hmm, Okay. I'm not sure, but he's in Bly Manor and he's in Hill House. Oh, interesting. I didn't realise that. He is, yeah. And we've also got Peter Sarsgaard, who... Maggie's husband. Maggie's husband. There's loads of praise for this one. This is another one of those, like, tipped for Academy Mm -hmm. Awards. And it is a really absorbing, kind of spellbinding film. Weirdly claustrophobic and quite painful and is all about the social pressures of motherhood and trying to balance motherhood with a career and being an unconventional mother or you know being put in a situation where you don't feel like motherhood is you're not the typical mother uh maybe motherhood isn't for you maybe it is you know all of those kind of struggles which i haven't had personally but i fear immensely <laughs> um whole film is held up by the performances obviously olivia coleman amazing she's so so great she can do so much with just a look it is absolutely insane and jesse buckley's brilliant as well just lots of brilliant performances also everyone is very attractive i was gonna say there's like not a person in there that i don't they're all beautiful i was like oh paul mescal obviously and i mean olivia coleman herself is completely beautiful um dakota johnson obviously Oliver Jackson Cohen, unfortunately, extremely hot He's in this so for being a bastard, but he is extremely hot. Peter Sarsgaard is really hot in this. I have such a, like a two-decade-long obsession <sighs> with Peter Sarsgaard. It's just lots of beautiful, slightly complicated um, people vacationing in Italy what and a has dream. that real Italy summer feel. Mm-hmm. Weird to watch it in the winter, actually. Mm-hmm. I'd like to watch it in the summer. Um, very good film. Lovely. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm going to try and watch it in the next couple of days. I think you uh, will love it. My number eight is Tita. Tita. Um, directed by Julia Ducournau. Um, we have discussed this at length on our London Film Festival recap episode, so I won't go into it uh, again, but I am looking forward to possibly seeing it again soon now it has had a wider UK release. Um, felt very privileged to watch this at LFF. I know we had a great time with it. Absolutely had a ball watching this film. What a film to watch in the cinema with other people. Oh, I'm How so, very visceral. I'm so it was. glad. So, so glad that we did that. Mm. I think it has one of. I think The Dancing Fireman is probably my most memorable scene of any film. Me too. I can't stop thinking about Good it. Good lord. Brilliant. Future Islands. God damn. What a revival. Uh, my number seven is The Power of the Dog. Oh, so, here we go. Yeah, written and directed by Jane Campion. Uh, you can rewind by about 30 seconds to hear us talking about it yes so i put that as my number seven great uh, my number seven is the green knight directed by david lowry stars deb patel alicia vikander joel edgerton sarita chowdhury sean harris barry keown it's an adaptation of the 14th century poem sir gawain and the green knight my we, favorite poem my not favorite me. poem it's weirdly horny that poem <laughs> i haven't read it did you know i no. i reread there it there was a horny bit in the film though yeah it's quite horny i mm. 
reread the poem or a child's version of the read poem yeah when, after we'd now. seen it and i think i remember sending you screenshots of it and just being like this is or the weird. child version as well extremely it's the stuff with the of. woman in the in the castle yes. anyway uh we had been anticipating this so aggressively and then we for had, like years <laughs> and then we had to watch it at home and not in the cinema which Sick. is the biggest injustice it is of 2021 but just had extremely high hopes for this like David Lowry's work broadly um, mm-hmm. and just enjoyed it. Just felt I... so immersive and so, I don't know, such a visceral viewing experience yeah. despite the fact that we were watching it on your lovely sized television. Yeah, it's an all right size, isn't it? I fully expected this to let me down because so actually much. quite a few films that I was really anticipating for this year have let me down. We were so hyped as well, much. weren't we? Yeah, and I thought, God, I'm just going to, cr- this is going to finish me off if this is crap as well. But for me, probably the best looking film of the year. Gorgeous. Um, the costumes alone, like, blew my the mind. It feels like Robert Eggers, it has a Robert Eggers style to it, I think, personally, mm-hmm. which is probably lazy to compare, but um, it, it kind of had that feel that I really, really love and adore. Um, and it's one of those films where you have no idea where it's really going to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, like, where is the quest going to lead? What does this mean? But it is... It doesn't really matter. It's I, no. I can understand some people being slightly annoyed that there isn't any particular um, meaning being brought to that film. You know, you don't finish it and think like, oh, okay, that was about, I mm. don't know, etc., etc. I just felt like it was an experience and a journey that you soaked up and you're taken on something that is quite strange and bold and mythical. Well, it's like a, a fairy tale quest mm. it's like a very mythical fairy yes. like that's the whole point of the poem is it's this yeah. like long meandering thing that starts in one place and then you get to the end you know like it's just you're in for the ride almost. yes it was all about the ride yeah. rather than getting for me any particular one meaning out of mm. it or arriving at a particular conclusion yeah. it wasn't that kind of thing for me and it is a long film so it's not something that i'd like whack out every week no but i'm really going to enjoy going back to it i think yes absolutely me too it's very like autumnal wintry it just looks amazing just i'm gorgeous. so glad this wasn't bad you know i know i was so apprehensive when we we did eventually just put it on like oh god if we hate this it's going to be like the biggest thing that's going to drive me insane but i will do no, a big cry a delight well done uh my number six is minari so Woo! is mine Snap. love uh, that brilliant we have talked about minari before we did actually. yeah in our mid-year episode in our mid-year episode back in june so won't say too much more other than directed by lee isaac chung just loved all the performances in it. So good. Stephen Yen, uh, Alan Kim, wonderful. Little Alan Kim. Absolutely. His amazing portrayal of David is just oh, like God. so wonderful and so developed. Nice. Yeah, just very intimate and touching. And we this, again, is something that we saw quite early in the year, wasn't it? We saw it in February at a like a Glasgow Film Festival online screening, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes, so it was the did. start of the year. Um, but the story and the performances have definitely, I've just thought about them a lot over the last year, just because they're so brilliant. There was a lot of joy to be gleaned. So There's nice. some hardship, but a lot of joy to be yeah, gleaned from absolutely. that film. Um, so yeah, that's my number six as Woo-hoo. well. What is your number four? Uh, my number five was Pig. Oh, so, there we go. That Mar- ranked quite highly, Very actually. highly. Um, I, I understand. Just love the pig film. Um, my number five is June. June! Um, by Denny Venu. Um, we covered this at length in our last episode as well, so nip back to that if you want our full take on it. But just 
Just loved it. We went and saw it again, didn't we? We saw it twice. Um, it was it was our big cinematic moment I am, of the year. Wasn't I am it? so glad that we did finally get to see this. Like along with the Green Knight, I'm so glad that June actually happened we because got there was to see a June. there was a point I think where we both were a bit like even like days before just being like, is this going to happen? This is not going to happen. What's going to yeah. happen? And we got to see it in a screen, big screen, twice. <sighs> Got to see the big adult space epic. Great. Um, blew my face off. Loved looked it. and felt very awe-inspiring. And that's exactly what I wanted from that film, was the world building, the sets, the score, uh, lots of people that we love. I just wanted to have a nice time. I just wanted to have a nice time. I think time. we both just had a really nice time. Great, it was very it? nice, big cinema experience. This Loved is it. the big film that I wanted to yes. love this year. And I think for a book that sounds altogether quite challenging and layered and complex i having not read it and have no idea but i feel like it it was a fairly cohesive job yes well done my number four we're whipping through these now because we have um quite a few we're basically just different orders for the same things Um, my number four was green knight love that uh, which is probably not a surprise absolutely yes enjoyed it very much what was your number four my number four is annette Directed by Elias Carax. Um, the only film that's not in my top ten. It's fine. I know that you did not enjoy it. So, so sorry. It's absolutely fine. I just had a great time. Uh, we have discussed this on an episode previously. Adam Driver, Sparks Musical, Baby Annette Puppet. Just absolute vibes. Loved it. I've, everything I wanted. Knew I would probably absolutely adore every aspect of it. And I did. So thanks very much. Great year for Adam Driver content. Wow, it really was, wasn't it? Um, my number three is Come On, Come On. Oh, that's my number two. So Woo! let's discuss it now. Yes, lovely. So this is something we saw fairly recently at the yes. cinema, directed by Mike Mills. I wasn't expecting to love this as much as I did personally. Mm-hmm. Easily the biggest heart warmer of the year. But without being sickly sweet. There was no, no like saccharine sweetness. No. It just was a real touching, beautifully shot and acted film and just a really lovely moment to have in the cinema yeah mike mills i think is a director whose work i love for precisely that reason Mm -hmm. he's just very good at like capturing relationships of all kinds so whether that's like intimate relationships with like another person or like parental relationships Mm -hmm. or friendships he's very adept at getting like the interiority of like people out on the screen it's a simple story isn't it you've got a man finding something out about himself and growing as a result of having to look after his sister's young boy. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Simple premise. Love the locations for this as well, like spanning LA and New York and New Orleans. Yes. I love the way they moved around. The the thing I liked about the locations as well in particular is because the film itself is shot in black and white, it's Mm. almost like, it's not like it levels them all the same, but like the way that that like landscapes in New York would differ from like the beach stuff in LA, it's almost like it puts it on the same level by putting it in black and white. I can absolutely see what you mean. Very, very clever in that regard. Yeah. Performances are amazing. Like Woody Norman as Jesse, the kid is... He's... But best Fantastic. child performance of the year, I think. It's very close between him and Alan Kim, I think, for me. But he's just phenomenal. These kids, don't know how they do it. Joaquin Phoenix as well. I think he's someone who I get very frustrated about the fact that his, from my perspective anyway, his knockout performances mm-hmm. are often completely overlooked. So like yeah. the year, for example, that he was nominated for Joker when he just done yeah. you're never really yeah. here it's like what like, are you doing by comparison really yeah. yeah he's just he's just phenomenal this for me is a real standout in his career i just think he was he was just brilliant yeah i feel like he'll get hopefully he'll get the sort of 
critical acclaim. Yeah, the acclaim for this that he deserves. And Gabby Hoffman as Viv as she's, well. Was just she's brilliant. Three key players are amazing. And of course, the whole thing is really neatly tied together by Johnny's day job where he's interviewing these kids about their vision of the future. And that was just like too much, really. The end 10 minutes. Oh, like I was already completely sold and there's the score by Aaron and Bryce Dessner from The National. So for me, it was just like an absolute... And Mike Mills had directed a short film for The National a couple of years ago as well. So for me, it was like almost a foregone conclusion that I would love it as much as I did. But that last 10 minutes is like an absolute... Destroyer. <laughs> destroyer. In a very uplifting in way. In a nice way. But it's it, like when it's too uplifting. It's too much. It gets you in the feels, yeah. doesn't it? It's too like many feels. Too much. Painful. Just, I'm really glad that you love this as Many much as crying. I Absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. Um, my number three is The Card Counter. Lovely. Brilliant. I haven't seen that one. Oh, Go God. ahead. Okay, so it's Oscar Isaac, Ty Sheridan, Tiffany Haddish, William Dafoe directed by Paul Schrader. Um, it's the story of William Tell, who's an ex-military interrogator who turned gambler, who's haunted by the ghosts of his past. I was so beyond hype for this. <laughs> a big Paul Schrader fan. His film First Reformed was my favourite of whichever year that was, 2018 maybe, 2017. Just brilliant. Um, love all of his sort of auteur-driven stylistic quirks that he has so for me this ticked all of the boxes i know that a few it's been it's not been polarizing there have been people who've loved it extreme amounts and then people who have been like it's actually just fine but for me it's just everything that i wanted from a paul schrader film you've got kind of taking on board the big task of i don't know trying to unpick like military interrogation abu Ghraib, like guantanamo bay that entire period wow. of american history political history and then what that does to a person you know the way that they're manipulated to sort of then manipulate other people there's lots of like big paul schrader-esque you know absolving ourselves of sins am i a good person am i a bad person blah blah, blah all of that stuff um oscar isaac really is great for me in this he's does this sort of i don't know it's not like it's a repressed toned down performance but because William is a person that tries not to give away too much of himself mm. um, he's very routine driven he goes to prison and comes out of prison and he's just in this very set way of doing things his performance is a revelation to me Tiffany Haddish in this had a really mm. interesting performance as well she's someone that's usually very intense but she does kind of a, a toned down role in this as well and it's more, I suppose it's more of a serious role for her she's someone that usually appears in more comedic films yeah. and tv shows so I just it was a very interesting t- choice there but just loved it loved the entire aesthetic of it loved the score as well Robert Levin Bean, who's from Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, mm. did the score for it. His dad um, had previously worked on some Paul Schrader films as well. Oh, so cool. there's like a nice nod yeah. there. It's just very, I don't know, ticked all of my boxes. Absolutely loved it. Um, I saw it twice at the cinema. Just wanted to immerse myself in it. It's just great. Just I great. Would, I would like to watch it. We'll I watch would, it at some stage. I would like to. You can watch it again. It could be your third time. Yes, absolutely. To watch it. Um, I put number two as June just because it was Ooh. my big oh, wasn't it enjoyment of the year. It was the it was the event cinema that I'd been hoping would finally happen, and, and um, I just yeah I just had a good time. So it was up there for enjoyment factor. My number two was the aforementioned Come On Come On Come On uh, Come As on. we've discussed, what was your number one, please? My number one was Titan. 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 I just it was probably wasn't it good? Four. It was just it was a bit of a given for me. It's very just, like 
on brand for you, I think. It's very on brand for me. Um, I don't really know what to say. I just, you know, like full-blown body horror family drama. It's just so good. It has to be seen <laughs> to be believed. Completely unpredictable. No idea where it's going. Um, some incredible performances. Uh, a year of... This is a, ve- a year of very few strong horror films for me. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Most of the bigger hitters, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. let me down. Um, I think that is... Is that the only horror film in the list for me? Yes. And I would usually have... That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I Obviously, it's kind of a, a favourite genre of mine. So usually I'd have at least a couple. And there's just not many. A lot of things didn't really hit it for me. So I was just really pleased to have this as a quite visceral and emotional watch. It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. But it is very memorable. Definitely, definitely worth seeing, I think. Uh, my number one is First Cow, directed by Kelly Reichardt. Moo! Moo, Cows indeed. and pigs. Um, I think we discussed this on our mid-year episode. The release yes. of this has been strange because it did film festivals at 2019, I think, mm-hmm. and then got a US release in 2020 and then didn't come out here in the UK until May yes. of 2021. Completely so weird, staggered. It's appeared in so many different year-end lists, but for me, definitely was the film that I loved most of all. We definitely, like I said, have discussed it, I think, but it's O'Ryan Lee, John McGarrow, uh, Toby Jones. It's two travellers on the run from a band of vengeful hunters in the 1820s Northwest. Dream of striking it rich, but their tenuous plan to make their fortune on the front comes to rely on the secret use of a landowner's prized dairy cow. Um, Kelly Reichardt is an, a filmmaker who makes a lot of films that are set in remote areas, including places like the Pacific Northwest, which this film is set in Oregon. Um, funny to me, actually, that this is a film that uses food and cooking and the kind of the intimacies of food and cooking and creating something for mm. another person or with another person in a very similar way that pig does more and pigs and cows both and animals set and in the pacific northwest that's so weird it's, isn't it it's really really strange but i don't know it's just i had two very nice experiences of watching this i watched it at home and then i took my mum to see it at the cinema it was her first cinema trip back after pandemic weirdness and it was just my mum is a keen baker. I probably have said this on the episode previously to this, but she's a keen baker and a keen cook. And it was just really nice to make her go and see this film that she ordinarily would not have seen. Yes. And then there's a couple of like uh, dishes that are cooked in the film and she was sort of telling me about them as we were watching, That's which really nice. would normally I wouldn't let her do in the cinema, but we were, both, we were the only ones in the screen. It was just this really nice experience. Like it just looks beautiful the way that she shoots landscapes and nature in particular the forests the sort of greenness of of Oregon is just it's just wonderful I had a really nice time with this and um yeah just a really really magnificent film brilliant um have you got any honorary mentions notable others that I you do I have mention? some notable others um my notable others are uh we watched Petite Mama Petite Mama the other night and um what a cute film so lovely cute. film extremely yeah just cute very short and affecting yeah. um that was great uh i watched the medium which is this thai mockumentary supernatural horror which i think was shown at london film festival actually that was quite good i thought that was of the few horrors i enjoyed that this year um that was fairly solid had a good few scares in it palm springs was fun oh i love that uh i did like promising young woman that was a very long time ago yeah. but i have 
Like, I stand by the... F- I know it's very polarising, but I stand by the fact that I did enjoy it when yeah. I watched it. Um, and I would watch it again. Nobody, which is the film I mentioned earlier with Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk lovely Bob Odenkirk, um, is a lot of fun. So great. Uh, pretty solid fun. Um, we saw Judas and the Black Messiah this year. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Chucker King. So that was great. That was really good. Uh, I enjoyed Zola. Oh, Zola I was good, Zola. yes. Yeah, I enjoyed Zola. And the other film I wanted to mention is called Jacob's Wife, which is the only other horror, which is like a vampire film with Barbara Crampton, directed by Tara Bush, which was surprisingly good. Those are my notable others. Uh, mine are No Sudden Move, which is the period heist film mm. directed by Steven Soderbergh. Soderberg, yeah. I've watched this a couple of times last oh, year. Good. had a great time with it. Lots of my favourite actors just big big fan of Steven Soderbergh's work more generally and it was just brilliant had a great time with it uh, Bo Burnham's Inside which I think mm-hmm. I mentioned on our mid-year um, The Velvet Underground Todd, ha- Todd Haynes's documentary which you've mentioned already was in mine um, would be remiss of me to not include The French Dispatch oh, of course, by yeah. Wes Anderson um, I also absolutely loved Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar oh, of course yeah just I've watched that three times last that year that was good fun just a great great time and also really enjoyed Emma Seligman's uh, Shiva Baby oh I didn't get a chance to watch that it's really really, really like great to. Uh, really stress inducing not oh. particularly long but has that same like slightly fraughtness of I don't want to compare it to Uncut Gems because that's just like oh, wow. connecting okay. the Jewishness of it but it's just this like it's all in one location it's really like you know that something bad's gonna happen it's just oh I don't know quite fraught but fun as well very very funny worth watching so that was our top films of the year. Let's move on to television. Um, I feel like I actually rewatched more last year than I did watch new stuff. So this will be very interesting. I feel similar. Yeah, did a lot of rewatching last year, which um, great time. Loved it. Great use of time. There's not as much TV that I loved. No. That's sort of, yeah, yeah. nearly aired. It's exactly how I feel. So um, what is your number 10, please? So my number 10, again, I hate ranking things, but fine. I watched Chapelweight recently, which is on Epics, which I don't even know if it's... I can't remember if it's come out here yet. Can't remember. It's definitely aired in the US. Um, and this is season one of Chapelweight based on the short story Jerusalem's Lot by Stephen King, oh. which is the precursor to Salem's Lot. So Jerusalem's Lot was the oh. short story he wrote, which he then turned into Salem's Lot. Oh, interesting. Lot. I didn't know that. Yes. So um, this, of course, stars Adrian Brody. Um, Love that. And is a fairly, doesn't break the mould in any way, it's a sort of fairly fun period gothic vampire show. So it's about um, Charles Boone, who's like a sea captain. He relocates with his family of three children to his ancestral home in Maine, Maine, after his wife dies at sea. Um, And there's a lot of hostility towards the family because his cousin who owned the house that they moved into was an awful person and they believe that the family have kind of cursed the town, etc, etc. Very atmospheric, very creepy, a few legitimate scares. Needed to be about two episodes shorter, I'd say. Went a bit far on the atmosphere and suspense. But actually, there's like so many horror TV shows now. We're hitting a real just there's just too many of them there's millions of them and actually this one was quite good um there's quite a lot out there is fairly forgettable but i had fun with this what is your 10 lovely uh, my number 10 is starstruck uh season one from bbc it's rose matafeo's romantic comedy series i think i've covered this before on the episode mm. i think it came up in my mid-year just had a really great time with it watched all i think it's only six or seven episodes and i watched it all in one go i think because they're like 25 to 30 minute 
episodes but just really brilliant if you're anyone that likes romantic comedy mm. films um this is the type of thing that a few years ago 100 percent would have just been a straight film but they've chunked it up and made it a show um she's oh, great she's really really funny she's from new zealand rose matafeo um she's just brilliant definitely worth spending some time with wonderful uh my number nine is the north water which was on bbc which Still is a mini series i mean it's pretty fucking bleak april i'll yeah, be honest but... so it's based on a book by ian mcguire which i read a few years ago and i really liked mm-hmm. i think i just like everything set in the arctic don't know why it's just a thing i happen Atmospheric. to enjoy very bleak so it's about uh, an ex-army surgeon who is played by jack o'connell who's pretty great as well love that he signs up to become a ship's doctor on a whaling expedition uh, to the arctic so um he's on board this ship with a bunch of crew and he meets this man called drax played by colin farrell <laughs> who is physically looks extremely different in this show is completely disgusting and yet i still fancy him um and he is this harpooner he's an absolute machine he just feels like pure darkness he's evil and yeah it's about their time on this ship together um, and what happens the atmosphere of this is amazing but it is really i mean it's not going to be uplifting is it no. they're like on a whaling ship and they get stuck etc etc and there's this horrible murderous man on the ship and there's disease Great. and awful things but as a sort of standalone series it completely takes you away to a different place and the performances are great and colin farrell's just so good he really is he is good isn't yeah, he? yeah yeah he really doesn't always lean into doing the most attractive roles for himself no. either he's a very interesting actor and he totally he's the perfect fit for this character because i remember reading this book and thinking like this guy is he's one of those villains that you know there's nothing supernatural about him mm-hmm. he is just Bad. just a bastard he's just horrid um and he pulls it off so well so i would highly re- recommend it if you don't mind slightly bleak things set in the cold the north water sounds great uh, my number nine is girls five ever which is peacock mm. it's on now on now tv as well it's a tina fey helmed comedy about a girl band that reunite when one of their songs goes viral it's just great great time busy phillips lots of other actresses i really find funny just i think i covered this on episode four but it's just brilliant if you've got the time to watch it short episodes just great a great time i would like to watch it i've heard it mentioned a lot it is on now tv now okay maybe i'll prioritize maybe that'll be my next do it it's just a nice time it's uplifting fun stupid just everything you'd sort of anticipate from tina fey you know unbreakable kimmy schmidt 30 rock level of humor it's it's good love it um, more girl bands. Uh, I mentioned this in our mid-year roundup. We are Lady Parks. Oh, I still haven't watched this. Need to Channel Four, really bite-sized. You'll zip through it. Um, about a group of young women in the UK who decide to form an all-Muslim punk band, and it's all about their sort of relationships and cultural differences. The actors in the show all play their own instruments, and it sort of really subverts the trope of sort of oppressed Muslim women. And it's very funny. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very celebratory as mm-hmm. well. Um, and it's just a really nice, fun, snappy show. I know I'll it. like it. You'll definitely like it. I think the half hour episodes and you just, you Perfect. know, before you've done it, you've watched like six and three hours yeah. and it's great. Um, I really enjoyed it. Very sweet, very fun. Uh, my number eight is Shrill season three. It's the Ooh, final yes. season of the A.D. Bryant centred series about a writer living in Portland, Oregon. Available on BBC iPlayer, I think, but it's on Hulu in the States. I just I loved Shrill. I thought mm-hmm. the characters were brilliant. A.D. Bryant's amazing. Lolly Adafope, who plays her um, housemate, is just a revelation. She's so funny. Um, it's just nice. It was nice to see the show come to an, a sort of... 
I don't know, a positive end and actually it just focuses on um, their kind of friendship mm. rather than the romantic entanglements of um, AD's character. But it's just great. I, I wish there'd been more, but also this final season was just a nice send-off. So yeah, had a really great time watching that this year. Nicely rounded up, wasn't it? Yeah. I always I watched all of Shrill this year. Mm-hmm. I've heard you recommend it many times before, so um, I had a great time. It was one of my notable mentions. Yeah, it's just nice. I always feel like it's a good sign of quality if it's the sort of show that even Wes gets hooked into watching because he caught me watching it and then ended up staying for an episode and was always happy if I put it on when he was there and I just think this is absolutely something that Wes would never ordinarily watch so if he's hanging around that's when you know it's yeah I just I felt like the characters were all really well realized there's lots of sort of like I don't know people on the periphery like Patty Harrison is in it and Mm. she's just so funny it is extremely funny funny. it's really great it's good my next choice I have spoken about already, um, and I'm not testifying for quality here, just enjoyment. Uh, Shadow and Bone on Netflix had a great time. Oh, I was time. hoping you'd bring this up again. I love Shadow and Bone, I can't help it. Based on the first two books of the Grishaverse, just fun fantasy escapism. I don't always go for fantasy, I haven't watched a lot of the bigger fantasy things mm-hmm. that are out there, especially TV recently, but I just... Very vivid, unique world building, um, some very lovable, compelling characters. I don't know, it just had a lot of heart and I really enjoyed watching at the time and I just got really sucked into it and now I just want to watch another season. Lovely. Because it was great. Um, I absolutely cheated with my number seven because it was a way of getting three in but it's the various MCU shows that aired <laughs> at the... You've put them all in one yeah, go. Yeah, just because actually like... Fair. I felt like none of them were better. Well, that's not actually true. But like, I just think actually they just occupy a very specific period of 2021 for me. Yes. Where So it's it's WandaVision, it's the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then it's Loki. It was just like the first part of 2021 was just like, cool, these are the things that are going to get me through. Front-ended by MCU. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think WandaVision did some very, very clever things with the way that it kind of covered a, a different decades and, and took, you know, like sitcoms from particular eras and tailored it to kind of the episodes that was very clever um obviously the falcon and the winter soldier is just big bucky barnes fan you that's well documented isn't it and then loki i think we did discuss didn't we and i had a good time we with did, that yeah. um so i'm in, and i'm interested to see where that goes in the future as well i have not watched any uh, of hawkeye no i probably will do it at some point i just haven't had a chance didn't get the time to do it over christmas or inclination to do it because it's hawkeye but i don't know i'm interested to see where everything goes mcu wise um in the future but these were the three in particular that i knew that i'd had like a level of investment with yeah. so there we go brilliant uh, my next one is the white lotus oh interesting. White okay. HBO, yep. which is a show we talked about on yes, a previous episode just had a great time with this didn't we breeze so through good. it very much led by the sort of strength of the performances and the humor was fully obsessed with murray bartlett so um bit of a succession-esque sort of pyramid of power so the higher you go you know the more everyone is an absolute mm-hmm. shit mm-hmm. and people being pitted against each other and the poor staff are continuously dogged by all these microaggressions um and it's all these tiny instances of sort of classism and sexism and racism but it's also extremely funny so, so uh, funny. i think it was a great balance and again didn't quite expect to enjoy this as much as i did no it was really uh, apprehensive actually that all of the kind of internet-based excitement for it would absolutely mean that I wouldn't enjoy it for Mm -hmm. some reason but yeah definitely had a great time with it lovely 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 Uh, my number six is I think you should leave with Tim Robinson Mm. season two which is on Netflix um extremely strange irreverent comedy sketch show love Tim Robinson I feel like his 
type of humour is something that you either will love or you'll absolutely hate. I don't hate. think I get it. I've no, watched a couple fine. of sketches. I don't think that's it's for me, fine. but that's fine. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. I completely understand why you wouldn't. I just think it's great. I, I re-watched the first season a couple of times and then I rewatched it again ahead of watching this and I've since watched this season a couple of times as well. I just find it like strangely comforting. Like it's absolutely weird and just slightly aggressive and just strange but i get a level of comfort on it where i can put it on and it just makes me laugh and i can just shut my brain off and i think he's great and i just want to hang out with him so there we go excellent uh my next one um is it's a sin russell oh, T. davis yep. channel four which we have definitely discussed before um following a group of friends in their sort of late teens early 20s um who moved to london in the 80s and are affected very personally by the hiv aids crisis and the show spans sort of 10 years between 81 and 91 it has of course got ollie alexander of years and years in it and we, we at the time we like massively sung the show's it was praises. Great. Yeah. It's just you can't not have it in your no. top list really. It was hugely effective and affecting and the characters are incredibly strong and you get to see sort of characters from different backgrounds and how um, AIDS has affected them irregardless. Mm-hmm. Like it's that great leveller, mm-hmm. isn't it? And there was lots of there was also lots of conversation in the wake of it around sort of mon- modern preventative treatments and how nowadays you can actually have HIV and lead a very happy, long, healthy life. I guess reflecting on the past stigma of that aspect. And I think we both found it very emotional, very affecting um, and just, yeah, very, very well put together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is my number four, so correct now but I just felt like it was a really interesting snapshot into the situation here in the UK and I know Mm. that that was something we discussed on our episode and I know that was something that came up in a lot of the kind of critical discussion of it because I feel like a lot of the HIV AIDS dramas are often centred rightfully so on things that were happening in the United States so it was really interesting to sort of have the perspective of what was happening here in the UK and then sort of the ripple effect Mm. of how you know the wider situation affected life in the uk i know we talked about like section 28 as a kind of concept that people outside of england and you know scotland might not have been aware of so i think that it was just it was great wasn't it i i really um really really enjoyed it and um, my number five is midnight mass yeah and um, so i was really surprised by how much i like this yeah. so this is absolutely this is on netflix obviously mike flanagan um i watched this mostly because I was very intrigued by the premise and Mm. because, I don't know, I just felt like this... Not that it, I don't think that Mike Flanagan's work is inaccessible to me, but it's just not ever it's something not that your I'm thing. interested in. I felt like of all the... Because I watched this first solo yeah. before watching with you again. I just felt like this... For some reason, I watched this and thought, like, oh, I think April would like this one. Yeah, I just was really intrigued by the premise and I just, yeah really blown away by a lot of the kind of the way that it discusses religion and the concept of like life mm-hmm. and death and grief and like human existence you've got vampirism in it mm-hmm. you've got sad priests oh hot sad priests we need at least one sad priest per year personal I think, so. tonight for me um oh, hamish link later in particular just revelation <laughs> just a real revelation i just enjoyed it i just enjoyed it in a way that i didn't expect at all a big fan of monologues as well. You know, it's a very valid criticism to say that you watched this and it was too monologue That is fine. I get that. Yes. Um, I think most of the monologues are fine. There was a few that took it too far. Mm-hmm. Um, it was straying into too many monos territory. But 
um, I think it redeemed itself. And I've been waiting for Midnight Mass for a long time. As you say, this is your like first Mike Flanagan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very obviously not mine. But it's been teased since 2016 and Hush. It's something that Mike Flanagan's want to do for a long time because it's very, very personal to him, mm-hmm. um, having been brought up Catholic and being a former alcoholic. So addiction features very heavily in this. And as you say, belief, religion, redemption, forgiveness, uh, fanaticism... Um, I think the characters are really strong. Everyone has like a moment to shine, yes, don't they? Yeah, Probably completely. because of the monologues. But everyone gets their spotlight. It's got that um, very King-esque ensemble list of characters. So you've got a whole island's worth of people, really. And the location and the isolation they have is very key to this. And all of these people are... It is a vampire show, but it's also about how each of these characters... They're not purely good or evil. No. They're always flawed. Most of them have a shot at redemption Mm -hmm. and a lot of the evil that exists is actually already in those people. It's not, you know, it's the horror is in their actions, that kind of classic thing. And it's kind of, it is creepy. It's also incredibly tender. Made me cry a few times, which is a classic Flanagan thing. Absolutely sobbed. Just sobbing at these long monologues. And I was really interested to see how the ending would play out too, because Flanagan notoriously doesn't stick his landings very well and I have been let down by them before and actually I personally I think he did right this time Mm -hmm. I thought it was a good ending but for me it's that balance of like deeply human um, emotional and universal and themes that are explored through the prism of horror which is just like catnip to me that's the thing I like yes the prism I like to use to draw on those themes and I think it did it really well and I was really pleased that you enjoyed it actually yeah it was interesting it made me not unintentionally I ended up doing like a Paul Schrader re-dive anyway this year but it was funny watching this and thinking a lot about things that come up in First Reformed and it's like I think there's there's definite sort of to an extent a lazy comparison because it's sort of a priest who's kind of questioning I don't know his position within a community and, and and his sort of concept of faith and what it means and blah 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 um first reformed is not catholicism i don't think no. it's more the other side of christianity mm. but like schrader himself tackles religion in a very interesting way and i was thinking about sort of things that he does a lot in his films um whilst watching midnight mass because it does mm. feel like this concept of kind of tackling human existence and, yeah. and i don't know just i loved it i really really liked it i was really really surprised i'm really glad that i did um actually cover it and watch it hooray uh, my next one, so this is number three, um, is Yellow Jackets, obviously. Oh my god. Oh my I... god, I got me in my yellow jacket here. I, I'm so annoyed that I didn't, I haven't watched this yet. I need to do it. You'll breeze through it. It's a Showtime show and it's created by Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson. Um, this came out of absolutely nowhere mm. for me. I was not, this wasn't on my radar at all no and then i saw like one tweet from sean fennessy being like this is amazing and i thought i'll give it a go and i'm a complete sucker for it just obsessed along with everyone else on twitter can't help it it's like lost but not disappointing love that Um, and it's about a team of new jersey high school soccer players a girls team uh traveling to seattle for a national tournament and their plane crashes horrible deep in the wilderness and they are left to survive for 19 months together. And the series moves back and forth. So you've got their time in the wilderness where they're struggling to survive and then also their current lives in 2021 um, as adults. The cast is amazing. Mm -hmm. I particularly love Melanie Linsky. She was in Castle Rock. I just, there's something about her I 
fucking love her. I think she's I wish she was in more stuff. Yeah, me too. I hope she is as a result of this because she like pins this whole Mm. thing together. We've got Juliette Lewis in it. Christina Ricci, who we haven't seen in ages, who is mega in it. Tawny Cypress, uh, Ella Purnell. Like amazing performances. So kick-ass. The soundtrack is insane. It's just like 90s grunge, right? It's like Alanis Morissette. Smashing Pumpkins, Hole, Dream. Um, PJ Harvey, Peaches, Porter's Head. There's some Cold Cave in there. Why? Fine. Sure. Great. Sure. Just losing your mind. Yeah, sure. Um, the opening credits are like true blood level of good. Amazing. Where you're like, yes, credits every time they come on. It's not like sitting through the Game of Thrones one for like, oh it just makes me want to die. It's so good. Uh, completely obsessed with the mystery of it all and where it's going and the millions of conspiracy theories um, the performances are great. I think it's going to do something incredibly fucked up. Uh, I just think it's so good. It's so good. You're going to love it. I've had to mute it on Twitter. Oh yes, it's incessant. I it was it's been brilliant to see everyone getting behind it, but I just feel like something is coming. Yes. In, in things I've not seen, and something's going to get ruined for me that I just really oh, it will. don't want yeah. to see. You know, so. um, Mayor of East Town level people are coming up with yeah. like the lead, and there's that leading theory, isn't there? So there's a really leading theory in yeah. this, and you just know it's absolutely not going to be that. Yeah. It's going to be something. I've had to shut it off. There's another theory people have that is like ex- extremely weird and gross, mm-hmm. and I, if it is that, it could well be though. It could easily take it in that direction would be absolutely mortifying can't wait to see um excited for you to watch it i'm gonna try and get around to do maybe i'll watch it again with you oh my god let's just do that uh my number three is white lotus as we've discussed already uh just had a great time with it thought a lot about it brilliant performances uh what more is there to say there isn't and my my two front two are level um and i know which your front two are gonna be um shall we go which ones you want to go first um should we do mayor of east town yeah shall we? okay these these are on a level for me i honestly could sure, choose fine. between them so we did a we did we covered mayor we of did east town. i think we covered it twice craig zobel hbo show the small town Who Done It? like watching true detective season one god it was good all over again god it was good kate winslet impeccable amazing probably my favourite character on TV this year. She maybe. was so good. Insanely good. Um, Evan Peters, who knew? Oh, Just God. sack off American Horror Story. You are so good at this. Free him, Ryan um, Murphy. Yeah, really proved his chops, didn't he? Um, some very big shocks, some unexpected twists. Just absolutely chomping at the bit to tune in each week, discuss theories. Fantastic ending. I don't think I've been ever been so stressed, well, apart <laughs> so from stressed. the other thing that we all have to discuss about having something ruined for me yeah that i had to like literally mute everything because i was like i do not want anything about this ending or anything that's going to happen ruined for me right. because i just felt like week by week it was the thing that i was like god i can't wait to watch the next episode like i just need to do it um just brilliant really really Absolutely brilliant. brilliant perfectly executed i think i don't want them to do more no absolutely i know we not. discussed leave it this that. before leave yeah. it as that. i'd like to rewatch this yeah absolutely leave Please it as don't that. do, do not do a season two just leave perfect it. perfect should we talk about Succession? Can we? Yeah. So my number two was Mary of Easttown and my number one is Succession season three. Um, is this a surprise to anyone? No, it is not a surprise to literally anyone who has ever come within a metre radius of me at any stage this year. We had the real privilege of seeing Succession, the first two episodes of season three at London Film Festival, as we discussed on the episode. And I just think that this show is doing it like no other like Jesse Armstrong and his writing crew and the directors and cinematographers are just on this level that I think is so untouchable. The mm-hmm. performances this season, I just... It's not that I everyone keeps blowing me away, 
But it's like someone will come in and I'll just be like, fucking Tom Wamsgans. Like, Matthew McFader. Insane. I, I think Tom is like... For a while I was like, Roman's the runaway star yeah, of this season. It's not, but actually it's Tom. It's not. It's, it's Matthew Tom. McFadden. Like, if he doesn't get Emmys this year. I mean, obviously, like, Kendall Roy, Jeremy Strong, that entire Jeremy Strong profile that came out towards Taylor, end. <laughs> like, the Jeremy Strong of it all is, is absolutely fair <laughs> as a discussion, as a, as, as a critical point for the programme. Like, Kendall is, I suppose, at the centre of this. However, Matthew McFadden is just, this season in particular phenomenal it's the season of tom isn't it i i I think we've discussed before how like it's almost like each season is posited towards a particular yeah you know we've had the kendall season we've had a bit more of the shiv season this is kind of roman season but actually actually is it yeah it's not for me i mean succession was obviously new for me this year um i finally caved and watched it and it is absolutely brilliant i felt like there was a lingering threat hadn't happened but there was a lingering threat of depending on what happens it could almost be too samey like if because where would where does it end? Yeah, if of course. It, and it is this vicious cycle, and that's kind of the point. But also, they need to keep it fresh, and they did it so well. Well, when you have the whole concept of the of the program is who is going to succeed Logan? Like who Logan is? That's it. Quite clearly on his way out. Which of the Roy children is going to ascend? Mm-hmm. But I just so I think that. I know that that in particular was one of the criticisms at the beginning of this season was just like, are we just going to be following this trajectory of like, oh, we thought that Kendall had it in the bag, but maybe actually doesn't. And and are they just going to be continually jostling for who's going to... But actually, I just think that it went in a really interesting direction. And those final episodes just made me feel... like Every episode, I think, this season made me feel sick to a degree. But these final episodes in, in particular just absolutely excruciating like knuckle biting like oh i can't i was just i'm cringing i i cannot tolerate this just yes oh just great and i don't know what more can i say (laughs) there was that one episode when logan gets the uti where i had to stop it because i was having a panic attack which is i don't think i've done that in a tv show before it was the tension the, the anxiety the dread of it all is just Ugh. yeah an absolute implosion near the end like the final two episodes insane so um, nice to discuss it weekly again have that event television yes um finally got to see alex skarsgård as lucas Matson, which i'm just... so glad for you but for all of us generally that he was in it as much as actually he was. yeah he wasn't just he wasn't adrian yeah. brody pop like 10 minutes of one go. episode no. yeah no 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 he was in there so and i hope he comes back in season four oh, he must I'm already anticipating that. We're probably not going to get it for ages, but... They pulled it off, though, in the bag. Amazing. Smashed Still it. on board. Thank you very much, Jesse Armstrong. Um, have you got any notable others? Uh, yes, a few brief notable others. I watched Cadler this year, which I think I mentioned very briefly before on Netflix, which is this kind of supernatural mystery show set in Iceland. Again, I like cold things. So that was great. Um, Shrill, Loki, uh, Pretend It's a City with Fran Lebowitz and... Martin Scorsese, uh, Lisey's Story, which is an adaptation of a Stephen King novel, which was on Apple TV. I watched American Horror Stories, oh, which is did. the anthology show, which I wanted to hate, but somehow kept watching every week when a new episode is was that dropped. Right, so clearly I didn't hate it. Um, and also, I personally enjoyed Cruel Summer, which I, I just remember. That. You loved Cruel that. Summer, which I'm now really livid about. And in hindsight, can I kick Chap away off sure. the list? Do, and put Cruel Summer yeah, in there in. as uh, an extreme lot of fun, dark mystery thriller on Amazon Prime. Shit, I'd forgotten Cruel Summer. Anyway, go and watch Cruel Summer if you like high school drama and tension. 
and uh, I also enjoyed I Know What You Did Last Summer, which no one was going to watch, but oh, I did, and sure. I had a great time yeah, with it. Good for you. Uh, my honorary mentions aren't necessarily 2021, but I smashed both seasons of The Mandalorian finally. I think we mentioned this before, that I mm. just got very intensely into The Mandalorian. Had a great time with that. I did lots of rewatching this year, so I rewatched all of Sex in the City. I did The Wire. Yeah. We finished our Lost. We watched we watched all of Lost, yeah. Um, I inexplicably watched seven seasons of Entourage. I've done 30 Rock. I did Mindhunter before Christmas as well. And oh, yeah. I finally started The Sopranos, and I have about 10 episodes left. Whatever, so I need to kick that into gear again. But yes, you do finish it. This not year. sure if anyone's ever discussed it, but it's a great program. Uh, Sopranos is all right, isn't so it? it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Who knew? Who knew? Oh, I watched Seinfeld. You did. I finally watched Seinfeld. <laughs> oh my god, I'm having the best time ever. Isn't it good? It's the funniest program I've ever seen. Uh, isn't it just fucking great? Why do I fancy Kramer? Kramer hot. What's going on there? <laughs> Mind blowing. I've got an issue. Anyway, Seinfeld, great. So that was TV. Let's move on to music. I feel like I've done the same thing this year, which I do every year, which is realised that basically all I do annually is listen to the same five things from about 10 years ago. Yes, that's what we do now, we're older. And then I have to go back and then remind myself what actually came out this year and what I did actively enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think the only reason I still aggressively use Last FM is because then it does actually chart for me what I have listened to. Um, my Spotify rap this year was in nowhere reflective of what I actually listened <laughs> mine to. Mine was insane. So, Do you remember the year before when mine was like pretty much the Beatles? <laughs> yeah. This year it was Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, but you actually listened to Neil Young, whereas last year with it, when it was the Beatles, it was because you'd listened to Harry Styles and then it would just go on to like Beatles. <laughs> so, completely oh, fine. So, so true. Um, a lot of this as well is like absolute recency bias where I've just kind of spent a couple of months at the end of 2021. Catching up? catching up on stuff and going like oh yeah that's really good and then clocking that it came out in like january yeah um but that's all good so uh, i will let you begin okay um so i've gone based on again i hate ranking things based on things that i have listened to most yeah fine so uh, my number 10 is Billie eilish's latest record happier than ever which I, came out in july i still haven't listened to this it's really good uh it's a very big departure from when we all fall asleep I think mm-hmm. uh, a lot more mature, but it's still got like a, an undercurrent of that kind of synthy, playful mm-hmm. kind of aspect. But her voice is just, she has got a tremendously good, so like, satisfying. bluesy voice. Yes. And that comes through a lot more in this record. So I have listened to it actually a surprising amount, something that you can put on quite easily when you're doing a range of things. So I actually think she's great. And I think she's had to deal with a lot in the wake of a very sudden um, rise to fame. And, you know, there's been so much objectivity around her body and her persona. And this is kind of a reflection of that. And I think it's very good. I always forget how young she still is. It's insane. Mad, isn't it? She's like, still a teen isn't she I don't bananas know. insane and um, what was your 10 uh, my number 10 is glow on by turnstile mm. uh, it's the third album from a hardcore band from baltimore maryland uh, it's very fluid in terms of its genre they are a band that are from hardcore and punk so that's obviously very evident but it's kind of pop punky it's there's quite kind pop of, punky isn't it there's a lot it's even appearance from dev hines aka blood orange so Bloody Dev Hines gets everywhere. He does, doesn't days. he? So it's a real shift for them to the mainstream. They were on Seth Meyers before Christmas, which absolutely wow. blew my mind. But it's just, they released a few tracks in the form of an EP before it came out in August. And then uh, this came out and it just absolutely dictated kind of my summer and the months thereafter. Just just great vibes. Loved it. Brilliant. 
My number nine is Viagra Boys Welfare Jazz. Sure. Uh, came out in January, so almost a year ago. Brilliant. This was my year of discovering uh, Viagra Boys because Wes listens to them quite a lot. It's their second studio album, so they're like a Swedish post-punk band. This record basically sounds like if Iggy Pop met David Lynch, so it's like yes. post-punk with lots of added saxophone um, in that sort of chaotic Lynchian way. I just think it's really um, good fun to listen to. I really enjoy it. It's like the only gig I've booked for myself so far this year. Love that. I was going to see them in May, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I don't know if anything will ever top sports, but yeah, Welfare Jazz is very good. Uh, my number nine is Prioritised Pleasure by Self Esteem, oh, yes. which came out in October. So it's the second album from Self Esteem, aka Rebecca Lucy Taylor, who was formerly of the kind of folk band Slow Club that were kind of big a few years ago. I guess this is kind of contemporary pop in a way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite unusual. It's quite an unusual sound to it, I think. Yeah. I'm glad you introduced me to this. Yeah, it's funny. Um, very recently. Yeah, because I sort of was aware of self-esteem um more broadly when the kind of first record came out but just wasn't didn't really really vibe with it and then for some reason i picked up on this and um, they had a fairly kind of big single over the summer called i do this all the time which keeps getting irritatingly compared to baz Luhrmann's sunscreen song oh basically i think because it's just talky yes um, of course but it's just fucking great like it's just really really empowering and nice and uplifting i've listened to this a lot over the last few months in particular but has some really gut-punching lyrics which are like extremely relatable mm-hmm. it's just brilliant had a really nice time with it it's probably my favorite pop record from this year i think just just a great time brilliant uh my number eight is japanese breakfast jubilee which i believe we have discussed we have. in our mid-year roundup in june very enjoyable indie pop rock lovely um, bit strawberry switchblade for me great summer vibes as well um beautiful front cover so just, nice uh just a really strong great record uh, my number eight is Bright Green Field by a band called Squid. I have. Oh, yes, I remember your very good tweet about Squid. I just. Bands broadly need to have names that aren't excruciating to bring up in conversation. There's a are couple they running of, out of. Are we running out of band name options? I don't something? know, but it's really annoying to try and have a serious conversation about a band that are called Squid. I just really love Squid, man. I'm just a big fan of Squid. Um, this is the debut from a Brighton based band. They're kind of new wavy, post punky, kind of kraut rocky. Reminds me in parts of Talking Heads. Mm. Uh, the singer does sing things in the same way that David Byrne does, which I really like. A bit new as well. It's just great. Like this came out in May and I'd listened to it a few times and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Kind of understand why people are into it then parked it and then just absolutely got back on it again in the in the autumn and i've just listened to it loads it's really really catchy um just loved it real surprise as well it wasn't anything that i sort of thought that i'd get really into but yeah just a great time um my number seven is emma ruth rundle engine of hell which came out in november uh, i really like emma ruth rundle she is a singer songwriter guitarist or visual artist based in portland she does kind of dark gloomy folk which has like a metal edge to it her 2016 album marked for death is one that i listen to very often and she's done some really good collaborations so wes recently got her collaboration with bow oh yes is, um good and she's done some she, she did a single with chelsea wolf this year which um i listened to a lot engine of hell is back to her sort of stripped back acoustic folk kind of stuff um it's inspired in part by time she spent alone in pembrokeshire 
randomly. Love that. On the coast before the pandemic. And it also draws on her experiences. Of, she got divorced earlier in the year and talks about she's been sober for quite a few years now so it talks about addiction too this is like sad girl music that you would probably listen to yeah so. i do like him yeah i haven't I listened to this record actually it's it's very stripped back acoustic-y feeling so um i don't i enjoyed listening to it over christmas when i had like quiet moments reading um by the fireplace it was very nice i just think she's yeah she's really great consistently great I am always fascinated by her collaborations in the same way that I am with Chelsea Wolfe, actually. Yes. Like, there's a lot of crossover with a lot of other stuff that I know that we like, mm-hmm. which I think is really, really cool. Uh, my number seven is Drunk Tank Pink by a band called Shame. Again, oh, God, yes, that bands. Shame record is Please. Yeah. Um, I think Shame's quite a good name for a band. It is quite good. Uh, it's probably better than Squid, isn't it? It's so better than Squid. I absolutely dismissed Shame a few years ago when they're debut record came out just it was really overhyped though it was one of those things where like it's like when everyone tells me to listen to idols and i go no well um so they're kind of post-punk i like referring to them as like james joyce core because they're absolutely (laughs) comprised of an appeal to men who've read ulysses and wear shirts and nice shoes jesus and have like so many people i went to uni Mm, yes it's a lot of people that i'm aware of as well so uh, it's their second album i had yeah like i said no interest but i've been hooked on this so much there's the thing that i think swerved it for me there's one particular single on this but then there's also they did a really good so the npr tiny desks Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic the majority of those have been they've kind of pivoted to being called at home now so it's like actually rather than bands going into the office there's they're doing them remotely in various different locations which i actually think is working to the format's advantage but that's a different issue and there's one where they're in this house in london and they're all it's i don't know it's just really really great i recommend watching it because that was the thing for me and i was like oh you're actually are very very good yeah they do kind of build in lots of different genres with this album i think it's so different to the first record Mm -hmm. but it's just i don't know it's just really good i've listened to it so much there's so many great lyrics in this there's one particular snow day is the song that i'm just really obsessed with at the moment and that's the song they do one of the songs they do perform in tiny desk and it's just really really clever i don't know can't be for like shame now Uh. how ridiculous Uh, my number six is just a bit of a fun one. It's Angel Olsen's EP Isles, yes. which came out in August. I think I've talked about Angel Olsen on this podcast before. Her last album, a Whole New Mess, was easily one of my favourite albums of last year. And I listened to it religiously and I'm just obsessed with her voice. And I think she's wonderful. She's so good. Um, and Isles is just like a... It's definitely like a lockdown... Like, I've written these, like, two amazing records. I want to do something a bit more fun. And it's just covers of 80s songs. So good, isn't it? Yeah, so, like, Alphaville's Forever Young, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, If You Leave, Billy Idol's Eyes Without a Face. It's just a fun, slightly off-kilter take on, like, 80s one-hit. Not one-hit wonders, because Billy Idol's not one-hit wonder. But, you know, those big one-off 80s hits that she covers in, like, slightly unconventional ways. But she's got an amazing voice. And just amazing, really. I just, I'm deeply biased. I think actually, I just really like Angel Wilson. She's so good. She's like, so, good. so consistently good. Such a nice, fun little EP, isn't it? Yes, really, really it's good. brilliant. Uh, my number six is For the First Time by a band called Black Country New Road. Um, oh, yes, that is a good. So good. Jangly as well. Jangly. So it's um, their debut from a London based. Although they've got origins in Cambridge, which I find sort of funny. Do they? Of, yeah, yeah. Um, of course. 
kind of post-punky experimental uh it was a really late stage 2021 discovery for me it reminds me a lot of slint at mm-hmm. times which is funny because i did this extended period of like obsessively listening to spiderland for about a month at the same time i got really into this record which sort of makes sense um they're another like shame they're a really good lyrics band for me they do actually reference slint in one of their songs which um they refer to themselves as the second best slint tribute act which I don't know, you're just really appealing to my sensibilities there. And they released some other songs this year, um, so Concord and Bread Song, which have come from the next album, which is coming out in February this year. So uh, for the first time came out in February of 2021, and they've got another album coming out in a few months' time as well. So uh, just a really great discovery for me from this year. Just obsessed loved it uh my number five is death of a cheerleader by pom-pom squad have you listened to this i haven't oh my god it's so good i can't stop listening to it it's just basically probably like a slightly cooler olivia rodrigo pom-pom squad is such a good name Uh, it's such a good name and you should look at the artwork for this it's so good so they're like a indie rock pop grunge band from brooklyn um i think this is a lockdown record it's got a very grunge pop feel and Mia Baron, who is the singer-songwriter front woman, is only 23. So again, 23. it's like that. There's just been a lot of very young female singer-songwriters that I am feeling extremely warm towards at the moment. You will definitely like this record. It just... That artwork is good. I've just Isn't looked. it such <laughs> so good. good artwork? Yeah. Um, it's just a really fun kind of guitar-driven pop, grungy record that you all definitely like so oh. please listen to it i'll make a point of listening to this um, i just stick it on in the background all the time and go like yeah <laughs> love that um, girl power girl power my number five hilariously is crawler by idols um, <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that was coming yeah so their fourth record from the bristol based band i find idols hilarious because they're often discussed as being like political and like men have feelings too but like not they're not at all really i have literally no idea why i'm so into them thing is idols are like legitimately good yeah but they have also been talked about so much so for me it's like they have this like there's something driving and momentum building Mm -hmm. about their music they're sort of punk but not really but the problem with them is is that i absolutely love them on record just find all of their songs extremely catchy the problem with them is is that i i really want to see them live but i just find the large amounts of their fan base absolutely intolerable it's just gonna be like i don't know just not happening not happening at all i don't know how to frame it um i just find their singer as well joe talbot so fascinating like i just can't work him out Mm -hmm. just don't know what it is but yeah great record i listened to it far too much it's one of those ones where you're like this is reluctantly good yes like, i put off listening to idols for ages because i was like i'm not listening yeah it was exactly the to same. like a bunch of men swill pints and not them but like no. the crowd is mostly yeah. like men swigging pints and talking about they how much they love remind me in that regard a lot of gallows yes in that it's like I like punk rock. Yeah, I feel like it, Gallows I, is my inroad. I got into Gallows at a stage before that really became a mm. massively massive thing. Yeah. So then to watch it go that direction was just really like, oh, that's a shame. Oh well. The end. Yeah, the end. So yes, similar similar vibes there with Idols. I think. Uh, my number four is I don't know. I'm into a very specific genre of music this year. Is King Woman Celestial Blues, Ooh, yeah. which came out in July, which is the second album by King Woman, and their vocalist Christina is in a bunch of bands and the 
all very different. So there's Dalmatian, which is like rap, Miserable, which is shoegaze, and Nightcrawler, which is drone. Fine. Love that. Um, so this has a very doom grunge vibe. There's lots of like female-led kind of grungy metal stuff going on. It's interesting, on with me isn't this it? Year. It's yeah. very much a thing. It very much goes hand in hand with, with a lot of other stuff that I listen to. Kind of in the realms of Chelsea Wolf, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's very much that kind of thing. It's got a great front cover as well. Something that has been great to listen to in the winter months. It's perfect kind of going winter. For a walk. Yeah. It's heavy. It's, yeah, female-led. It's just, I, I'm just really into it. Uh, my number four is Little Oblivions by Julian Baker. Third album for my sad girl queen. I don't really have anything else to say about Julian Baker. I'm just obsessed, really. I find <laughs> it really funny that I just... I know that... I mean, I love Phoebe Bridges with obviously my whole entire heart. Mm-hmm. But Julian really is the one for me. Yeah. Um, of, the, of the boy genius trifecta. So just great. Was really looking forward to this. Just everything I wanted, really, from a Julian Baker record. Um... I'm going to have to say Olivia Rodrigo again because I really liked Sour and listened to it loads since May and um, it's like it's like one of those guilty pleasure listens, isn't it? Hey, it's but not, I stand by There's it. nothing guilty about it. You, you know like what? what you like. It's a very strong debut album. It's great. By a very talented young woman and I'm not listening to everyone go on about how she's like copying fucking Courtney Love because I think that's I think that's hey, just that's absolute it's absolute. It's absolutely like lowest common denominator lazy comparisons. She's yes. a because she's a woman with a guitar. Yes, you know, and no. just of course, Courtney Love would be the one to accuse her of that. Fine, 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 <laughs> petty. Um, she's like twelve. Give it a break. Again, just kind of guitar-y, slightly grunge-infused pop. Very into Brutal, very into Good For You. Yes, it sounds like Paramore, but I actually don't think it's that similar. Fine, fine. I like Jealousy, Jealousy. I even like slow songs and I don't like a lot of breathy slow stuff. I actually think she's very compelling and I like her. And you can all stick it because it was quite a good album. I'm interested to see what she does next. I think she. this is like such a good out of the gate. You know, I just find it really interesting that lots of people have been like, wow, she's quite young. And it's like you totally are influenced by this person, this person, this person. It's kind of like, well, yeah, obviously she's like 18. Like, yes, she probably is influenced by Hayley Williams. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what else you're supposed to draw on when you're like a teenager. What do you want? I don't know. I, I just think it's very enjoyable and um, entirely inoffensive. So I don't know why people are getting upset by it. But maybe that's just me. I'm not actually heavily personally involved with Olivia <laughs> Rodrigo. So I'm not feeling that defensive. She's having her. a great time. But I also just think I listened to that album quite a lot when I was painting the bedroom that we're currently sitting in. So... There we go. There you go. Uh, my number three is Super Monster by Claude. I think I mentioned this on mm. our mid-year episode. Kind of bedroomy pop. Debut album from a Chicago-based singer-songwriter. Released via Phoebe Bridges' Saddest Factory imprint. It's kind of dreamy, lo-fi, poppy, summery, uplifting. Just had a great time with this. Came out in February, which is, I think, the perfect time for it because it was when I was just feeling like post-Christmas, stuck in lockdown, yes. sadness. And it's so uplifting and upbeat and just bright nice just great i've listened to it a lot over the last year it's just brilliant my number two is Homefront. think of the lie which came out in december that a bunch of people had recommended to me because it basically sounds like the cure and echo and the bunny it does doesn't it um it's just sort of new wavy pop synth from canada i don't really have much to say other than it's just like a very solid back-to-back album that does have very strong robert smith vibes doesn't it um and i really like it and yeah so it came out last month but i've listened to it pretty solidly since then um and i've like shared it with wes because i thought it would be something that he automatically likes and uh yeah very good very good 
My number two is Comfort to Me by Amal and Sniffers. Uh, they're a Melbourne-based oh, yeah. punk band. It's their second album recorded largely while the band were all stuck together in one of Melbourne's million lockdowns. It's just really fun. It just gives me absolutely the same feeling that I got the first time I heard The Distillers. Like, that's a lazy comparison, if only because they're Australian and female-led, but it's just great. It's no, just absolutely, mean. like, grotty, fun, fast, punk I really enjoyed their first LP, but this I think is probably my favourite just because it's just, I don't know, really propelling, just really fun. Some really, really great standout songs that just stick in your head. Um, Just great, great vibes. Uh, My final favourite of the year was obviously Halsey, If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power, which is the fourth studio album by them. And it was written by them with Jonathan Cunningham and Greg Kirsten and was notoriously produced by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross of Nine Inch Nails. So we have discussed this before in a previous episode, so I won't go in depth, but it is basically an industrial pop album, which is the best of both of my worlds and is quite a powerful concept album as well, talking about the dual aspects of pregnancy, the sort of the joy and the horror of it. Some of it sounds extremely Nine Inch Nails and uh, I was really looking forward to it coming out and actually... There are some really, really strong songs on there. Um, There's like one that I'm less fussed by, but apart from that one, the rest of it is pretty standout. So I loved it. Um, My number one is Jubilee by Japanese Breakfast. We've obviously covered this, as you said, you've already mentioned it already, but I don't know, it just felt like a departure from her previous two records, which I guess were sort of more dream, poppy, shoegazy. Mm. Um, But this, and she said, Michelle Zauna, who is Japanese Breakfast, had said that those two records were really heavily about grief, particularly the loss of her mum. And this one's more about joy, which makes so much sense when you listen to it. Mm. Great music videos, really catchy songs, just have come back to it again and again this year. Just absolutely love it. Um, Do you have any notable others? Yes, so my notable others are um, Self Esteem, Prioritised Pleasure, which you introduced me to recently, which I have really enjoyed. Um, the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis Carnage EP came out earlier in the year, and I did enjoy that very much. VR Sex, who are like a synth punk, acid post punk band from Andrew Klinko, who is in Jab Drab Majesty. Um, I really like VR Sex. They released Cyber Crimes this year, which is very good. Ethel Kane Inbred is another sort of singer-songwriter, goth rock, southern gothic record, which I've quite enjoyed listening to. And also one that I'm trying to get on with, but I'm not entirely sure, but I thought I'd mention because I'm sort of sitting on it at the moment, is that new Chelsea Wolfe and Converge record, Blood Moon? Yes. I can't work out what I think of it yet. I think I do like it. I haven't listened to Converge in an extremely long time. Mm -hmm. Can't say I listen to them regularly anymore. I think I do like it, but I think it's probably because I pretty much like anything that Chelsea Wolfe has done. Yeah, this for me is in my notables as well. I haven't really spent as much time with it as I probably should have done. And because it is the intersection of two things I do like quite a lot. I think I just need to actually spend more time with it. It's very, very good. Um, I just wasn't as blown away with it as I thought I perhaps yes, might be. That's I think that's what I think. Yeah. Um, it's quite different for Converge, actually. Mm. So I'm going to listen to it more and see if it grows on me more. Um, the only other thing I wanted to shout out was like, there were lots of collaborative songs that I really liked this year, mm-hmm. like two bands or artists working together. So Health and Nine Inch Nails did Isn't Everyone yes. earlier in the year, which I listened to a lot and really liked. Um, I think that Munich Phoebe Bridges song 
silk chiffon might be like it's so good I'm, I was really surprised that it didn't come up as like my number one most listened to song of the year because yeah. I listened to it loads the Sharon Von Etten and Angel Olsen <laughs> song yep. was brilliant um, and then Chelsea Wolfe did a song with Emma Ruth Rundle which was again those were some of my top played tracks of this year and I was like hmm it's just interesting that there are lo- lots of collaborative efforts yeah lots of crossover I wonder mm-hmm. if, if like lockdown Lockdown's, really helped with that yeah I think lockdown's prompted some collaborative efforts which I think were really strong yeah definitely um, some notables from me is Home Video by Lucy Dacus. Um, mm. Sufjan Stevens released an album this year called A Beginner's Mind. Halsey, which you've already mentioned, uh, Dry Cleanings, New Long Leg. And then there were a lot of soundtracks that I so obviously oh, yeah, that's true. absolutely vibe with the card counter, Come On, Come On, Annette, and The Power of the Dog. Uh, Johnny Greenwood's score for that as well was great. Um, yeah, big fan of OSTs. Mm. I thought it was quite a good year for music. Uh, yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? I, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. I was surprised by how many things I'd actually listened to this year because last year in that lockdown, I basically listened to like the same two things Fiona on Apple. repeat. Yes, I basically listened to Fiona Apple and some comfort things and apparently the Beatles. Um, <laughs> but this year I'd actually listened to more. Well done, well done you. Well done for branching out. So we've smashed movies, TV, music onto books we don't really talk about books very often despite the fact we are extremely bookish very people. bookish people both have jobs that involve books <laughs> Book which jobs. is quite strange but there you go i think it's a hard unless you're reading books simultaneously yeah we often which... cover things that we're both reading yeah uh, we're both sort of digesting at once mm-hmm. and we wouldn't usually read the same book so it doesn't often come up it's come up a few times but um i found making lists to this quite hard because i realized that i basically only read a handful of things that were actually published in 2021 books are one of the harder things Mm. to sort of work out yeah it's just not the same pattern as like a film comes out you don't you know books you kind of loop back to and they kind of i also just pick up stuff that i've had on motor read pile for about four years and then go like i'm finally gonna read that book you have to do a mix of a few recents but also those ones that have been sitting on your shelf forever to that end i had to separate mine out into things that were published in 2021 and then things that weren't published in 2021 and they're also maybe not ranked either because i found that quite hard, i don't like so. ranking things so these aren't really ranked i did um 10 books that were published this year because sure. i happened to read um enough i thought i had but i hadn't so there we go that was the fine only thing. fine um, so I have put one book that I discussed during our mid-year roundup was The Last House on Needless oh, Street yes. by Catriona Ward, which is this sort of story of a serial killer and a child and an ordinary house. I can't quite make up my mind about this book, but it is easily one of the most sort of interesting I read this year. You've got to give it props for being utterly bizarre. I think it did work, actually, but I've never quite come across a book that is narrated in this way and sort of unfolds in the way that it does. So... Um, for inventiveness and the way that it's pulled off it is um, very very memorable Um, so I've done five because that's just the way it had to work for me so my fifth or one of the books I really enjoyed from last year was Acts of Desperation by Megan Nolan Mm. it's a debut from an Irish writer which sort of charts the rise and fall of a toxic relationship and the life of a young woman at the centre covers lots of things like love, desire, obsession, self-destruction, all very laid bare. Um, I read this at the start of the year, I think, and it just, it really did stick with me quite a lot. I just think it's really interesting. I feel like there's lots of things in there that many people would probably recognise, um, good or bad. 
but just really like a very very striking debut i think it'll be really interesting to see what she does next uh my number nine was fell by sarah moss um i'm a big fan of sarah moss uh, i don't think this was as good as summer water but it's a it's a covid novel there are two covid novels in my book uh, in my list and i'd sworn i wouldn't go any <laughs> near any books or anything that touched on the concept of a lockdown no, but here you. we are um this is kind of another it's another book that has kind of shifting perspectives um, within her writing it primarily focuses on a woman who slips out for a walk during her quarantine period but she thinks no one will she's uh, getting extremely antsy at home and just has to get some fresh air so it sort of centers on her but also features her son and sort of neighbors and things like that it's quite short um it's quite affecting it's a snapshot in time and as i say it wasn't didn't quite hit the notes of ghost wall or um summer water for me but i did enjoy it nonetheless so another book I really enjoyed last year was Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It's her seventh book, really hot on the heels of Daisy Jones in the Six, which came out in 2019, which I remember lots of people, including myself, were very obsessed yes. with. Um, I read this when I was in the middle of like a reading slump and I couldn't really get my head around anything that I kept picking up and it was the thing that kind of dragged me out of that. Inevitable really because it's a book about a group of siblings in California in the 1980s with threads going back and forth unpacking the kind of complicated history of their musician father and their much neglected mother. It's no surprise to me that it's already been optioned for television mm. um, because I do think that it would make a really good series. It would make a very good series um, actually. All there's right. lots of crossover with music and like celebrities in this particular period. Um, it's just very, I don't know, visual in that regard. Um, I just, I don't know, there's just something about her books actually. I'm really intrigued by them. I need to read more. I've only read Daisy Jones and The mm-hmm. Six and obviously this one. Um, but she just has a really good way of creating these characters which you kind yeah. of find weirdly recognisable um, and kind of weaving them into sort of pop culture landscapes more widely. Um, yes, so it's just really interesting. I, I, I sort of had high hopes for it in that regard. But yeah, just really loved it. Really great time. Uh, my number eight is The Manning Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore, um, which I did some work with this year because it won the Desmond Elliott Prize for a first novel. Uh, it takes place during the witch trials of 17th century England and it's through the perspective of this woman, Rebecca West. It's extremely poetic. I believe A.K. Blakemore is a poet or has published poetry first and this is um, her first novel and it's just written extremely um, beautifully and evocatively and as you can imagine it's quite painful and there's you know parallels with present day and there's Matthew Hopkins and it's you know there's a lot going on it's a period of history I guess I know a fair amount about so it's not unearthing anything particularly new for me but it was um, really compelling and quite emotional to read about this sort of fictional uh, life of um, this outsider woman I thought that was extremely compelling and it was just one of the best written books of this year easily for me uh, my number three is no one is talking about this by patricia lockwood um it's the debut novel from patricia who is a poet and writer so it's about a woman who's known for her viral social media posts who travels the world speaking to her fans her entire existence is sort of overwhelmed by the internet or what she terms the portal all of this is suddenly pierced by two text messages from her mother who tells her that something has gone wrong and asks her how soon can she get here. Um, I just think for me, it was like a really perfect look at the way that being constantly online essentially rots our brains and the way that we engage and think about anything more 
broadly i understood like 75 percent of the extremely unsubtle internet-based <laughs> references which felt Good. to me very much proof that i haven't logged off since about 2001 um tonally often reminded me of george saunders which is never a bad thing and i thought the flip between the absurdity of like online versus real life was really interesting it's definitely a book of like literal two halves begins one way and then swerves in a different direction and it felt really relatable in parts i do definitely feel like i spend half of my time on the internet telling myself i should get some perspective and go and touch grass <laughs> and then when that comes i'm like oh i hate this and i just go online again and into that weird perceived safety of online spaces which is just insane um i think it's definitely like been very very polarizing by people mm. you either think it's like fucking genius or people are like this is just stupid and dumb i hate it um, and i think that your reaction to it will be absolutely dependent on your own experience of the internet and and the way that you engage with social media specifically um but i just think it's really really clever just great really really great book my number seven is burnt coat by sarah hall which is the second of the two COVID books that I read. I also read them back to back, I now oh, realise, which is, I, I'm not sure Bold. the proof. The proof for one came through at the same time as sort of the publication of the other. So it's it's just the way it happens. So it was a little bit intense, but um, Sarah Hall's book is about, uh, it's told from the perspective of a dying sculptor who's sort of reflecting on her life and of finding love during the first lockdown. So again, it's very much a lockdown uh, piece of writing. And it's just a, again, it captures an experience that we have all had, but it's just, I don't know, it'd be really strange for anyone to read it later on um, if they haven't, if they didn't experience the lockdown with us, it would be really bizarre. But it's one of those things that felt very, um, uh, I don't know, it just, you know, it was very recognisable because they, it captures feelings that a lot of us have had, but it was also very um, sensual. Sarah Hall is extremely good at writing about sex and sensuality and bodies in a way that for a lot of writers would be absolutely cringe but um she's particularly good about it and um i saw her in conversation with sarah perry it was one of the first real in-person events i have had since this pandemic kicked off and it was an extremely intelligent and warm conversation and i i have so much respect for sarah hall as a writer and a person i think she's um tremendous and she just knows her shit Love that. My second favourite book of this year was uh, Diary of a Film by Niven Govindan. I think I mentioned this on our mid-year episode. Yes, you did. Um, so the book's about an author to who, together with his lead actors, is at a prestigious European film festival to premiere his latest film. Alone one morning at Backstreet Cafe, he strikes up a conversation with a local woman who then takes him on a walk to un uncover the city's secrets, both historic and personal. Um, they kind of take this meandering walk and it's sort of a story about love and tragedy and the author then begins sort of to see the ch how this chance meeting could be turned into a film I think about this book a lot because it's absolutely my shit it's just mm -hmm. sort of like two people are kind of coming across each other having these long conversations it's just very I can see the way that it would work as a film more mm -hmm. broadly is essentially just people walking and talking um it's the type of thing that I know that if our friend Vix read it she would absolutely hate because great really nothing <laughs> happens but yeah. I just think it's because it's that particular type of book which then brings in things like films in particular like narrative the constructions of films and, and storytelling and who has the right to tell stories and blah 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 lots of those kind of things mm. um it was just making me think about like filmmakers that I love and the stories that they tell and I just thought that it was just really found it really really immersive and just had 
a lovely time reading it and I um, hope to go back to it again and again actually because I feel like I would just take more and more away from it. Brilliant. Uh, my number six is Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson, which is a debut novel. Um, it's beautiful and painful, I would say. It's a, a love story about two black British young people who meet in a pub and they fall in love against this backdrop of violence, really, living in London. So it's very much about identity and black identity, masculinity, um, bodies. Um, I found it very affecting and I think... There are a couple of slightly on the nose, maybe pop culture references that some people found a bit too much, but I didn't mind them at all. They just sort of glanced off me really. And I just thought um, for something quite short, it had a really deep impact. Um, and I don't I don't read a lot of love stories. So this was quite memorable for me. Lovely. Um, so my favourite book of last year was Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner, which I think I have mentioned before. Mm. So it's the kind of, powerful memoir that she wrote about growing up Korean American losing her mother and kind of forging her own identity so Michelle is of course Japanese breakfast and this book in particular builds upon her 2018 New Yorker essay which was um something that I'd read and really really enjoyed so when I read that it was going to become a, a more uh, long form book I was really really hyped I read it in June and then Funnily enough, I thought about it a lot when we then watched Pig and then it also mm. reminded me in parts about First Cow, mostly because all three of those things kind of, they're not similar, but they do merge grief, food, eating in such an interesting yes. way. And it's kind of funny how that's just become a bit of a through line for me this year. So I absolutely loved that. I just think that it was just really, really moving, extremely powerful, just brilliant. Number five is um, one of my favourite non-fiction books of the year. It was The Good Girls and Ordinary Killing by Sonia Falero. Um, this was probably my favourite interview for the Writing Life podcast that I did this year. Sonia is just absolutely fascinating. I'm an extremely talented. Um, it's set in Northern India and it's the true story of the death of two small girls, Padma and Lali, in their small village. Um, and it very much, it follows their story and um, the rumours and the falsehoods and the realities of what happened in that village because all of the villagers are involved and have a sort of story to tell. Um, and Sonia went over there and interviewed them a number of times and had to really tease fact from fiction because she was being told so many different versions of the same story and she was trying to kind of balance the reality of what happened with the way that these sort of fictional stories were being told and fabricated um, and it talks a lot more widely about violence against women especially in India um, but worldwide really and there were some really shocking aspects I mean you know it's entirely shocking but there were some really shocking aspects in there for me and I really enjoyed speaking to Sonia and hearing about how she did the most incredible amount of research so the research it must have taken to to I don't know, even tackle a book like this when it is so complex and it's such a... I, I don't know how you get to the root of the, the truth for the death of these two young girls um, and trying to balance that with talking more widely about society is just... It's a real effort and um, I think it's brilliant. Um, I'm going to hard pivot to five of my favourite books that are non-2021. Yes, go um, on. So... Year of the Monkey by Patty Smith. I'm just obsessed. Oh, yes. This is from 2019. I'm obsessed with her writing generally, as well as her as an artist. Um, this book in particular charts her year of travel and the deaths of two of her close friends. It's just the way she writes is so poetic, and it's just 
absolutely wonderful i read this i think all in one sitting in the summer just sitting outside when i couldn't really do a huge amount it's just great my i'm continuing with 2021 yeah, sorry to so muddy the waters absolutely fine um my number four is what i'm currently reading so it's kind of cheating but i've only got about 40 pages left so unless there's some sort of insane pivot that's going to happen which i don't think so um this is my other non-fiction book and it is nina simone's gum by warren ellis I really love Warren Ellis. Um, I have a lot of respect for him and his animal sanctuary for he's so <laughs> animals good. with um, various conditions. I just think he's very talented and very good. Um, so this is a book that is quite literally about his relationship to a piece of Nina Simone's gum, which she um, was chewing during her meltdown set in London which she then stuck into a towel as she left and Warren Ellis climbed onto the stage and took it wrapped in a towel and kept it for many, many decades um, and had a really, um, a very, very close relationship to it. And then when Nick Cave wanted to do this exhibition in Copenhagen called Stranger Than Kindness in 2019, Warren volunteered to have this piece of gum on show and it kind of triggered a series of events um, involving lots of people who were involved sort of looking after it and sort of guarding it and caring for it um yeah it's really fascinating it's very much about our relationship to tangible objects the book itself is a bit of an object relationships to music and our memory um and as someone who collects lots of things and has trinkets and has spent quite a lot of this christmas period um i went to wes's mum's house the other day and we were going through her trinket boxes from when she was younger um we've both got boxes of sort of grandparents trinkets little things i we're surrounded by little things at the moment as we sit here talking love stuff uh, love stuff basically and the memories that are tied to all these tiny bits and pieces so it's like quietly extremely char like extremely extremely charming um i do not believe that they should have bought a plane seat for nina simone's gum when it was flying to copenhagen and this is put inside a violin yes i think that is crass but apart from that i it is wonderful to see that so many people involved in sort of caring for it they understood innately how important it was as like a sacred object and um i don't know it's it, there's something about that that really hits home for me and actually listening to warren ellis talk about it at edinburgh book festival i don't know you'd think he would sound extremely i don't know i think he's just extremely down to earth actually in a way that you don't quite expect and i think he wanted to write a book and it kind of ended up coming out like this he didn't have any confidence in himself as a writer he didn't know how it was going to turn out he wasn't sure if he could do it he wasn't sure if anyone would care or listen at all why should they and actually i think that was quite endearing and it's a very human book that sounds great i want to read that you can borrow it thanks it's um, beautiful my number four from non-2021 years is uh, Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. It came out in 2019. This was the first thing I read last year. Um, oh, was it? Again, another, a book that's quite polarising. I know Vix absolutely hates it. <laughs> um, there's so much in this about fiction and truth, unreliable narrators, who gets to tell what story, whether narratives ever truly belong to just one person, how putting words on a page can often distort the truth. It's really lingered with me throughout the year. I just was really compelled by this and just found it absolutely intriguing um really something to unpick and think about a lot um which i have done brilliant uh, my number three is malibu rising by taylor jenkins reed so 
Um, I will not go over that again, but I, yes, I read Daisy Jones because it's been on my to read pile for ages and really liked it this year. I thought it was great. And so um, I was very happy to read this based on your recommendation. Absolutely breezed through it. Just had a really lovely time with it. Just satisfying. Um, Great period of time. Great kind of, you know, one unforgettable night with a family. Talks about fatherhood musicians, Malibu setting. Great. Would love to see it as a TV series. Something else I read last year that wasn't released in last year um, is The Passion According to GH by Clarissa Lispector, which is a 1964 book. It's probably the, one of the oldest books I read last year, mm. apart from Hemingway, which I regrettably did. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's about GH, who's a well-to-do real sculptress who enters the room of her maid. Um, there she sees a cockroach crawling out of a wardrobe and panicking, slams a door on it, which then somehow provokes a spiritual crisis in which she questions her place in the universe and her wow. very identity, which then propels her towards this act of shocking transgression. Um, Lispector was a Brazilian writer. She was born in the Ukraine, but her family fled to South America after World War One. I'm extremely bad for actively reading literature in translation and or generally branching out mm-hmm. of English native writers. So this is a real trip. There's just so much in this about human existence and what it means to be a person alive in the world. Um, I've read a, another of her books as well in the wake of this. And so she's just a writer that I had really had no awareness of prior to last year. Um, but just had a really like amazing time reading this. It was just very, very compelling. Um, just a great time. Brilliant. Uh, my final two favourite books of the year were uh, Lean Full Stand by John McGregor. I love John McGregor and his writing. And Reservoir 13 was one of my favourite books from a few years ago. And this is the story of, guess what? An Antarctic researcher. <laughs> you love what it. What is going on here? Anyway, there's lots of stories of the Antarctic going around. So it's the story of an Antarctic researcher who um, suffers an accident when he's out in the Antarctic and he's no longer able to communicate as a result. So he can't tell others what actually happened out there. Um, And it is very much a book that is all about storytelling and language and lack of language. And it comes in part from John McGregor's own experience of um, being accepted onto a residency in the Antarctic. And he found it almost, he's been spending years and years and years trying to write a book based there. And he just couldn't because he couldn't find the words to describe that kind of place. And that very much comes into this. Um, it's yeah a story of how you express yourself without words what it means to be wordless um, to lose language the importance of language the importance of telling stories all sorts of things that I'm an absolute sucker for I think it was amazing and um, I also got to do this really great immersive half hour with John McGregor in um, a hut at Norwich Science Festival this year where myself and Wes literally sat in a tiny recreated Antarctic hut with John McGregor as he read to us for half an hour um, an extract from the story and it was absolutely brilliant and um, I highly recommend it. Lovely. Number two for me is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett which came out in 2020. Um, so it spans from the 1950s to the 1990s from the deep south to California. Um, it sort of follows the journeys of two strange twin sisters who lead very different lives. It covers a broad spectrum of things around the concept of identity from race so that it tackles the idea of passing or what it means to pass in society and then also things like gender so one of the characters is coming to terms with their gender identity and their trans um, the characters for, in this felt so well-rounded and real to me and have sort of stayed with me often found myself thinking about like, what they would be doing after the book finished 
and I've not really ever gotten on particularly well with any of Brit Bennett's other books and so I was really surprised by how much I was taken in by this and it's just great I think I love like family dramas which span time I love yes. that as a, as a narrative concept um so yeah great uh, and my final um, book recommendation from this year I have discussed already in our mid-year episode it was Luck and Booth by Jenny Fagan which is the story of an Edinburgh tenement and the residence within it spans generations years time again um, it's very dark it's gritty it's gothic it blends past and present um, it's quite bizarre it's beautifully written um, and very much my shit and I'm looking forward to the next book that Jenny Fagan is bringing out this year. I think it's called Hex or something along those lines. Anyway, it's coming out very soon. I'm very excited. I talk about it in a bit more depth in that episode. Um, and my final book recommendation that I read in 2021, which actually came out in 2020, is probably my favourite book that I read last year. But anyway, it's All Right, All Right, All Right. The Oral History of Richard Linklater's Days and Confused by Melissa Mayers. I think oh, I course. mentioned yeah. this previously. Um, absolute foregone conclusion that I would love this. I'm obsessed with the form of oral history, especially when it is done well. And this one is. It's a really wonderful retrospective and deep dive into one of my favourite films. It was so wonderful to hear from the cast and the crew and get my head around how the film came together and then how it was received at the time. And then also its retrospective legacy is like an iconic piece of 90s mm. cinema it's just great just really really great made me watch days and confused obviously multiple times afterwards um if you're a fan of the film this is just like you absolutely need to read this it's just endlessly fascinating brilliant do you have any other notable others you'd like to um, mention? The only other things I will mention is that I did listen to three audiobooks last year <laughs> which were an absolute great time. One of them was uh, yearbook by Seth Rogen of who course, does read yeah. it um, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed this if I'd actually read it but as an audiobook it was fucking great um, same goes for The Storyteller by Dave Grohl um, of the Foo Fighters and Nirvana it's just great I know people hate him I had a fucking great time <laughs> with this loved it whatever and then also I was gifted by my friend Kate the audiobook of Ethan Hawke reading The Dharma Bums by Jack Kerouac which is like absolutely April Mad Libs of like an intersection of things I adore Jack Carrick, sorry, and Ethan Hawke. <laughs> and Darwin Bums is underrated, I think, and I just had a very nice time listening to that. It made me very, 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 very happy. What about you? Wonderful. Um, my other notable others are, uh, there were three others that came out this year. So Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendez, Boy in Various Poses by our friend Lewis Buxton, which is a poetry Lewis. collection. Um, Dead Relatives by Lucy McKnight Hardy, which I was probably too hyped for. And I actually, I have a... I always want to read short stories, but I actually, I think I'm a really harsh critic when it comes to short stories. So it maybe didn't meet my extreme hype, but actually, objectively, it was very good. Um, I've read quite a lot of Shirley Jackson this year. I reread um, Haunting of Hill House, which is one of my favourite books ever. And I finally got round to reading um, The Lottery and Other Stories, um, which is such a bizarre collection of short stories. It's really, really interesting, and I think they're brilliant. I read Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager. I've read quite a lot of Riley Sager's stuff. Just find it like an easy breeze, enjoyable kind of writer, a bit like Taylor Jenkins Reid. Mm -hmm. Last Time I Lied is my favourite book so far by Riley Sager. Uh, Thin Places by Kay Chronister, which is a short story collection. 
Um, and of course, I continue my Stephen King read. Um, my favourites were The Institute, which is a fairly contemporary book by Stephen King, and also The Long Walk by Richard Bachman, which is um, Stephen King's pseudonym um, that he wrote under for a while. Um, the Long Walk is absolutely insane, dystopian madness, um, and it was very good. And those are my notable others. So that's our little retrospective of 2021. Is there anything else you would like to cover? Uh, no, I'm fully knackered from that. I think we did quite well. Fully knackered. Very thorough. Um, maybe we'll be back soon. We might be back soon. For more content. We'll see you in a few weeks. We'll try and watch something. We've got loads of stuff coming we have, up. We'll, we have seen some stuff we might discuss. 2022 will be um, slightly brighter for us both. And God, I hope so. And we can get back on track and just enjoy... I actually, we've had a lot of good stuff looking over what we've been talking about today. Yeah. seen us through. So. It's been good. It's actually been, you know, lots of things we've enjoyed. Yes, more greatness, please. Yes, please. Um, so you can find us online. We're Twitter at the thirst, thethirstpod.podbean.com. You can subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts by searching for The Thirst. We're on Spotify as well. We're on Instagram at The Thirst Pod. Our blog URL is thethirstpod.wordpress.com. And we're on Facebook as well if you're still using that. Thanks. Bye. Oh, send us your favourites oh, yeah. of the year, please. Goodbye. Yes, please send your favourites. Bye. Bye. Bye.